Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between. This is Feature This, a fan edit podcast. I'm Bezo, and with me today is Greg. Hello. What's up, Greg? How you doing, man? I am doing well. It's been a long time. Yeah, the last time I saw you, I think... Anakin and Padme had just gotten married, <laughs> the galaxy was in turmoil, mm-hmm. all bets were off. Yes. Well, today uh, we revise, we, today we come into um, doing our episode on, episode three, Star Wars episode three, Revenge of the Sith, if I remember if that's correct, that's the correct name, right? Yes, yeah, Revenge of the Sith, thank you for holding up that prop. Um, and this is uh, the third, of course, in our series of six leading up to... The uh, release of episode seven, The Force Awakens. The Force Did I get Awakens. that correct? <laughs> oh yes, thanks for holding up that prop. <laughs> Force Awakens coming out uh, later this year, December, Christmas time, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so we are, you know, as protocol, we're going to talk about episode three, and uh, we on the other two episodes, we kind of talked a little bit about. When episode three came out, where we were and whatnot. I have to be honest. I don't think we've talked about about episode three and where we were yet. You know what I mean, the other episodes. Uh, I'll be honest, I have no recollection of where I was or what the situation was, or even if I saw episode three on opening. I I most likely saw it opening weekend, but I don't have any fixed memory to it like I did the other two. Episode three came out on a Wednesday. (laughs) I got off work and drove over to the, I believe it was the... uh, United Artists Galaxy Theater over off 635. What year was this? 2005. 2005. By then I had moved to Austin, so chances are I saw it in Austin. Well, you said you saw episode 2 in Austin also. No, actually I saw uh, episode 2 in some podunk town oh, uh, near in Austin. East... No, no, no. Oh, I oh, no, no, just... yeah. Alright. Well, anyway, yeah, I went and saw it with my friend Eric. We waited in line for six hours, and it was really fun. Mm. Uh, it hadn't really gotten real hot yet. You know, mm-hmm. everybody out there was all Star Wars fans. You know, uh-huh. playing blah blah blah. You know, we brought our dinner and ate. So this was not one of those things where you waited in the lobby. Y'all no, were we outside. were outside the theater. Wow. Yeah. So the other two movies, you had read the books, listened to the soundtrack, probably read the screenplay before the thing had no, come I out. I read the screenplay. And read the screenplay. Episode two, I found a, a bootleg treatment online, which turned out to uh, pretty much uh, exactly match the novel. Interesting. So it must have been legit. Okay. But you did read the book for episode three. Oh, yes. Before it came out. And at the end of the book, I clapped. In and the I, book, you clapped. And I said to the author, Matthew Stover, bravo, sir. <laughs> bravo. I said those yeah. exact words. Um, and the can- you've read all of the books for, for one through six, the novelizations? Yes, I understand that now that Lucas is redoing their continuity... Lucasfilm, sorry, Lucas isn't doing mm-hmm. that anymore. That they are, they are releasing new versions of the novels for the original trilogy... Interesting. Well, there's little bits and pieces of gas. Like in the Return of the Jedi novel, it suggests that Obi-Wan and Owen are brothers. Mm. It suggests that... So they're um, doing a quick little fan edit. There, there's, a, there's a word, the word emperors appears in the novelization of Star Wars. Mm. Little things like that. Okay. Um, but, but yes, I have read them all. But I haven't read the... I mean, I read them when they came out. What is out, your so. favorite novelization of the, of the probably, movies? Probably episode three. Probably Return oh. of the Sith. It was fantastic. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was so great that when the movie ended... I was like, "Hey, so what do you guys think?" And they're like, "Well, I, you know, I had a problem with this and that and the other." And I'm like, "Well, but 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 no, but remember that scene where this happened?" And they're like, "No." I'm like, oh, "I guess that was just in the book. Uh, the book was better. The book was better." <laughs> I I we watched uh, episode three earlier in order to prep up for this uh, episode, and I I was lost kind of thinking about, okay, I'm George Lucas. I've decided to do the prequels. 
I this sus- is the end of uh, Noises Off. Noises Off. Yeah, it's the last closing night. It's the last one. <laughs> <laughs> you never seen Noises Off? No. Oh, no, never mind. I don't know and all zero of our listeners don't know either. No, sorry. Um, the uh, I was thinking, okay, I, I don't think that Lucas fleshed out what would ultimately be one, two, and three before he set upon four, five, and six. I when I he- was in junior high school, my friend Eric, the one that sat for mm. me in line for six hours, somebody at our school had what was supposedly an episode three treatment. And it was, I don't know, 15, 20 pages long. Mm. And it was supposedly, as in, who knows if this is legitimate. I mean, obviously, we don't know if there was yeah, yeah, an episode yeah. one, yeah, let yeah, alone yeah. a two and three. And I begged Derek to let me borrow it. And he said, you can borrow it as long as you don't make a copy of it. I said, I won't make a copy of it. So I went home and recorded myself reading the whole thing out loud. <laughs> gave it back to him and typed up my recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I changed a few things in there. You know, yeah. I cut out little unnecessary descriptions. So it wasn't an exact copy. It was fan edit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of a treatment of episode but three. in that uh, treatment, Palpatine had a, you know, a, 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 a hanger-on named Prince Valerium. The Chancellor in episode one is, is Chancellor Valorum. Which leads me to suspect that that thing somehow or other came from some legitimate source. Hmm. Well, what what other things in that? Were any of those things in the treatment relative to? Uh, no, what I, ended think up he, being I think he one, dropped two, to the dark side pretty early on. It, it dealt with the Kyber crystal, which was something that Alan Dean Foster came up with in the book Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which came out right around the same time as Star Wars. He ghost wrote the Star Wars novel, uh-huh. and it was and that was in the treatment. But that was pretty popular, you know, accepted Star Wars lore at the time. Right. So Lucas might have been in on it. I mean, he hired okay. Alan Dean Foster to write his book. So the point is, is that I, I, at some point Lucas is taking on the helm and being charged with coming up with one, two, and three—the story that would ultimately be the prequels. And there, I, I realize that there's a, an interesting conflict he has to resolve, and I, I think that this conflict is the thing that I don't think he successfully does it. And it's the idea that Darth Vader is the darkest of all Sith, the badass of the badass, but yet he was really, really good friends with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you have to create a story in 1, 2, and 3 that convinces us that they're really, really good friends and that he would end up being the darkest of all Sith. And that conflict, I don't think ever... I think it's... they, they In 1, 2, and 3, they try really hard to make that happen but that is so that's such that's such a difficult sell and i don't think it ever sells um and one episode three which we just watched um is supposed to be the payoff of that build-up to show the transformation from yeah we were friends now he's the now he's vader may i make a comment absolutely is it that darth vader is portrayed as the baddest of the bad sith or is it that, as the only Sith we've seen, we assume he's the baddest of the bad? Okay, fair enough. But, you know, in the context of cinema lore, he if, if we talk, name the top ten villains of all time, he gets a spot. Sure, know? but that doesn't mean that he's the baddest of the bad Sith. Sith well, our, the, if you're going to make a prequel and come at it 20, 25 years later, where he is renowned as... A, 
a um, a legend legendary villain, then you still have to play it up that way. You have to make it convincing enough that he is uh, he can he can fill both shoes, friend of Obi Wan and Darth Vader. So um, the the story here, ultimately, if we look at a big picture, is Palpatine has in one uh, in one hand. Uh, built up an alliance of a, of a droid army using the Federation, apparently the Trade Federation. Am I, am I taking that in, right? At this point, it's the Confederacy, the Confederates. Okay, and the um, and in order to combat them, he has on the on the other hand created a droid army. I sorry, not droid army, but the the clone, clone army to take on this fight. You know, manufactured a war with one hand fighting the other. Um, and as the senator who has been elected the principal, um, the imp- no, he's not elected emperor. He he's is elected chancellor. Elected chancellor, and he declares uh, himself emperor at the end of the movie. Right. Uh, the he at the end of episode two, he uses that uh, clone army to go fight the droid army. Yeah. And uh, by design, there there is he uses ultimately the the clone army. To be his own little, in a sense, his own personal army of what he transforms the Senate into the Empire, the Republic into the Empire. In episode two, there's a line where when Obi-Wan is first introduced to the clones, they are totally obedient, willing to accept any order without question. That key line is kind of a throwaway line there because we don't really deal with it. But, hey, I'm buddies with Obi-Wan. Execute Order 66. Okay, hey, boom, Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan, let's kill him. That's how they're wired. Yes. That's how they're wired. And um, like I like I told you earlier, the book of Revenge of the Sith explicitly says the the plan was to orchestrate a scenario in which the Jedi were all spread out, isolated in remote parts of the galaxy, surrounded by stormtroopers, mm. and then I activate the stormtroopers and kill them, and that is the Revenge of the Sith. The whole thing. So the end game is to get the Jedi surrounded by stormtroopers and no, with no other Jedi around. In order to do that, we have to create a conflict which will spend, send the Jedi out surrounded by stormtroopers. Mm. In order to do that, we have to have stormtroopers, mm-hmm. which are the clones, and we also have to have the Confederacy, which is created by my apprentice. Mm-hmm. We're in this together. Because what, what happens as soon as, as soon as Vader comes along, he's like, well, let's kill the Jedi and wipe out the Confederates. We need to get rid of both of them. Mm. Because we were the ultimate goal is to get rid of the Jedi. In order to do that, we created the Confederates. Now we have to get rid of them. Yes. It's, like, it's like arming the um, Afghanis to fight Russia, but now we have to deal with the Afghanis. Afghanis with our arms. Yes. The, I, I think there is a thought process where George Lucas, as the storyteller, you know, he knows, of course, you, have to, you know where the end goal is. The end goal is that the Senate is, res- is absolved, as mentioned in episode well, four. Well, happens in episode four. Right. But he has to get to a point where he is in a position to do that. There's another end game to this. We, we get rid of the Jedi, yes, but the Sith have to be in control of the galaxy. There's a problem. The galaxy's really big. It's, it's, it's virtually impossible for me to exert control directly from my throne mm-hmm. over the entire galaxy... Especially because, we, but I need the Senate. Otherwise, I really don't have control. Mm-hmm. What's left out of the movie, but is in the book, mm. and is in Episode Four, mm-hmm. 
is the establishment of regional governors mm. over everything. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of questions. In the book, it deals with the dawn of the Rebel Alliance, and those are my favorite parts of the book, and Lucas left them out. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure they're... they're I, know, I know they exist because I've seen the deleted scenes, mm. um, like on the DVD. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And in the book, they talk about, oh, well, you know, he's got these governors, so what... What's why do we have the governors and the senate? I mean, what's the deal? What's going on? I mean, how are we going to exert control? Well, here's the plan: we establish governors, but we can't dissolve the senate because that there will still be unrest until we can build a battle station that blows up planets. So the Death Star is a key. That's why you see key. it being built at the end of the movie. You see it being built because what happens? The Death Star is fully operational. Great. The Emperor just dissolved the the Senate. The regional governors now have direct I mean it's th- th- that those things are all connected. That speech, all that stuff happens in the, in 1 minute because every one of those little bullet points is all connected. Mhm. So the design and I I think it's interesting because I think in a design standpoint, when you're talking about the crafting of, uh, 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 of Palpatine's, you know, how he's playing the role of the puppet master to bring us to the setting of episode four, I think what Lucas has created is very effective. He, he's very smart about it. The idea that you do have these two warring factions and you put them against each other, but then you're controlling both of them at the same time, and then you're using the fact that there is conflict to help elevate your status in the Senate, which then gives you the power to execute all these different factions. It sounds like, I mean, it, it, it's very, very compelling uh, story that you can kind of get on board with. And I, I, there's, there's one, I would say this, in all of the... And episode, uh, I, I, I almost, I'm, I'm almost wanting to backtrack on this, but I, I'm going I'm I'm to commit to it. I think of four of all the of episodes one, two, three, four, five, and six. The sequence of, I guess you can call it the uh, Order sixty six sequence. Uh, and I would, if I were fan editing, I would end it not much longer after uh, he undoes the uh, lightsaber in against the younglings. Uh-huh. That sequence is probably, I, I would say, the most emotional, captivating sequence in the entire saga. And to his credit, it, it almost needs to... the entire needs saga. The final lightsaber battle between Vader and Luke when he's like, if you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. To me, that's the most... Because this there's, this there's this order of events that takes place in the Star Wars duels. First, you have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. Maul, yeah. They don't know each other. It's Sith versus Jedi. That's all it is. We don't know each other. Blah, blah, blah. And it ends with, with Darth Maul dead. Yes, Qui-Gon dies too, but the point is it ends with one side gone. Mm-hmm. One side is over. The next lightsaber duel is Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Dooku. Dooku. Episode How two. many of them die in that battle? Zero. Zero. Why? I mean, if I were being a, uh, if I were looking at it with a... And Yoda's in there, too. None of them die. None of them die. Well, I mean, if I would say it's just an action set piece. You know, we got to have a climax in okay. episode two where they have some cool lightsaber okay. fights. Okay, okay. Well. If you want to get more poetic with it, what would you say? I would say it's because they have a relationship. Dooku is Obi-Wan's master's master. Yes. Look at the next and major lightsaber duel. Obi-Wan versus Anakin. Who dies? Nobody. Nobody. They can't do it. The closer they get, they can't kill each other. Obi-Wan and Anakin fight again in episode four, 
Obi-Wan sacrifices himself. Darth mm-hmm. Vader doesn't beat him. It's suicide by Vader. Yes. <laughs> that's why he dies. Mm-hmm. In episode 5, Luke and Vader, who dies? Nobody. Nobody. It's even closer now. It's not mentor and, and apprentice. It's mm-hmm. father, father and son. And, and, and so... It's building up, you know, and, and then finally, with and, and then Luke and Vader, who dies in six, nobody. Mm-hmm. They both survive. And then Vader dies because he sacrifices himself for Luke. Mm. But the my point is, is that there's this slow, it starts off with just, it's just political, Sith versus Jedi. And now it's, well, we're all kind of in the same family. Now it's we're brothers. Then it's we're father and son. Every time, every lightsaber duel becomes more and more personal. And so episode six to me is the most emotional moment mm. because it is the culmination of everything it is the sith versus the jedi it's father versus son mm-hmm. it's everything it's it's everything from the past six movies but in the fr- original trilogy i would definitely say this is the, is the most that important. sequence is the best or, 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 sorry the prequel which is when i say original i mean the first, uh, yeah, yeah, first yeah, yeah, three yeah, yeah. it's yeah. really difficult now with all i know this. original old new that kind of thing original implies comes first um uh so I have to give credit where credit is due, and you're welcome. <laughs> meaning that I can find. I mean, there's plenty of flaws in episode three to point to, and not is, no, there's <laughs> not. Kidding, yeah, seriously, <laughs> there's uh, but a lot of the. It's like um, I, I, it's kind of. I'm, I'm going to make a little tangent here, but if you remember Peter Jackson's King Kong. Yes. Um, I I had tons of problems with the first act of that movie, a lot of the second act. But at the end, when Kong falls from the building and is dying and is dead, it it's gripping. It's emotionally gripping. It works. And I have to like, you know, take a step back and say, you know, I may have a lot of problems with this, but for whatever reason all these pieces come together and this scene, which is the scene that needs to work, works. And so as much criticism as I have, I can't, there's a level of criticism I can't level against it because that emotional payoff is there. Um, I was, and so in watching episode three, I almost feel like, you know, in episode one and even in episode two, you've got to do a lot of moving this around, taking this out. Maybe you have to like digitally remove this character or this scene like in order to put something together that's even tolerable. But when episode three comes around, that's not the issue. The issue is, you know, it's a the sculptor of it is pretty good. You just kind of put, you have to put a polish on it, a sheen on it, um, because that scene works. However, uh, there are there is still a challenge of whether or not it, it really by his transition from friend of Obi Wan's to. Darth Vader, and that is such a I hope transition that, that any ambiguity there is solved by the fan edit. <laughs> so the way episode three starts is uh, the conflict between good, the conflict between the the droid army and uh, the um, and the the clones is or the Republic is that the, the one of the generals of the droid army has somehow captured Palpatine. Of course, he is has been allowed capture by design. Uh, Count Dooku, who escaped from Episode Two, is part of that. Uh, the Jedi are find out their hiding spaces, and the first action sequence is them confronting, effectively getting to and confronting Dooku. Um, Dooku once again uh, is able to overwhelm the two Jedi, and uh, but this time he uh, is um, 
taken out by Anakin, who kills him, uh, not necessarily in cold, blood, in cold blood, but about as close as you can get, in front of the senator who eggs him on to do so. Um, this is the beginning of episode three's uh, steps into converting him again from Jedi to Sith. In the novel, um, the, the, the scene opens with Dooku speaking to Sidious. And they're talking about their plot, and they're, they're going to get rid of Obi-Wan and manipulate Anakin and all this stuff. And then Sidious says, oh wait, they're coming, go hide. He spins around in his chair, and Obi-Wan and Anakin walk in. And in the novel, you instantly know. I mean, you know, you know, if, if you're smart, you could probably figure it out. But in the novel, it's explicit that Palpatine is Sidious from the moment you see him in the movie. I, or and, the book. You see, and that's a that's a that's a failing uh, to some extent. It's a failing between one, two, and three. Is you never question that this guy is going to be the emperor of four, five, and six. There's never any question that Sidious, the name Assuming Darth you've Sidious, seen four, five, and six. The, you're never going to presume that Darth Sidious isn't the the uh, emperor in disguise. The film, the storytelling is too much in that favor. So that the, when the reveal, quote unquote, the reveal of Sidious uh, as the emperor is not. It doesn't impact us as much as it should impact the characters who discover that. Um, I would think that, and I don't remember, but if you were just reading the books, it would be a lot more ambiguous because you never see him. And yes, that's what I'm saying. The visual cues are not there, are, are, are too much one-sided in, um, in the prequels. But anyway, when, when, when Anakin has um, Dooku and he's got the lightsabers to his neck and all of a sudden um, um, Palpatine says, kill him, kill him now. The look of terror on 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 um, Dooku Dooku's face is because he's he, like, "What? He, he just I'm realized. your apprentice. What happened to the plan? Wait, what? No, oh. yeah, yeah." Christopher Lee's look over there just goes to show that he had a different he had different intentions of what was going to happen there. Yeah. Um, and so then the you know effectively the uh, in theory the Palpatine has been re- recaptured or re- you know gotten back from the droids and. Um, and so the Jedi are, um, are you know, they bring him back. And, so, and just like in episode two and episode five, we, get, we begin another split narrative mm-hmm. um, where uh, Obi-Wan is sent out to go find uh, this one general of the droid armies who escaped again uh, from the previous conflict in the, at the beginning of the first act. And... Um, and Anakin is set to kind of sit back and kind of, kind of hang tight with the, with Palpatine, um, and the other Jedi, and, and the Padme. other, and the other Jedi and Padme. The it's a, there's a really interesting dynamic between uh, which I, I really liked, where the Palpatine gets you know Anakin and says, "Hey, I want you to be my eyes and ears in the Jedi Council," and the Jedi Council go to Anakin and go, "Hey, I want you to be our eyes and ears on what's going on with Palpatine." That's an interesting dynamic. I, I, it could it puts have been, a lot of pressure on Anakin. It really it, does. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, but I, I wish the execution was a little bit different. Insofar as that, you know, the the he maybe he's a he should be a little bit more self aware of what's going on and not be so surprised that uh, of the, that Palpatine says because the Jedi don't trust you. I they think you're trust. the only Jedi with no knowledge of this plot. What really is going on is because the Jedi don't trust me, and they know that you represent me, 
they are going to be very guarded around you, mm-hmm. which now I can make you feel like they're hiding things from you. But really, it's because they fear me. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff, uh, these are the really interesting things about episode three that give it a lot of, the that, that are gripping. Is this, I like this part of the, I really don't, I think it's really boring, The all of the Obi-Wan going to Grievous and fighting him and the way the lightsaber stuff works and then that animal that he's on and riding, like that whole sequence. I actually like that stuff. That whole that whole thing feels like a distraction from the really interesting, important stuff of the political machinations, the puppet mastering that's going on, that's affecting Anakin. That he is in in one way he has agency, but in another he is just being toyed with. Obi Wan does all this um, covert uh, stuff on Utapah that reminds me of him on the Death Star. You know, he's walking around the Death Star in his Jedi robes. Nobody sees him. Yeah, just you know? looking around. <laughs> and he's walking around, the, the, everybody's looking for him. He's like, oh, I'm going to hide in the shadows, and I'm going to do all this stuff. And I, he jumps down right in the middle of all of everybody, and he says, hello there, which is his first line from episode four. four. Yeah. And that's just classic. Nice. It's not only a great tie-in, but it's also cool when you hear somebody say the same phrase twice in different periods of time, because it suggests, this is a phrase I use. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Um, so, the... I guess you could call it the B plot. Uh, it certainly functions as one. Is that you mean about me and Natalie Portman? <laughs> that uh, Portman's character, Padme, uh, Anakin's love interest, is knocked up, pregnant, and he is having the same kinds of dreams of his mother dying uh, that now he's having of her dying. And previously, when he had these dreams, he tried to save his mother, and she died. So now he's having the dreams about Padme. And, and these are going to come true, too. And he knows it's inevitable that it's going to come true. Uh, I almost wish that episode two, in retrospect, had a similar nightmare-like visual that mm-hmm. exists in this one. Because like, there's this... The, you can, the, the nightmare is visualized. We see like this uh, iris-like uh, setting with these lines coming in. It's yeah. dreamlike, and Padme's face is all cloudy and screaming and whatnot. Um, I wish there was something like that in episode two, so there's a stronger connection that we could see what he experienced before and why we know he, why he's so committed this time. Palpatine to, to has Gunner. a line that that raises two really interesting questions for me. He says, "Let's see, Darth Sidious was so no no Darth Plagueis was so powerful that he could manipulate the blank bl- bl- blankety blank blank, which we'll just use the Force instead yes, of it." Yes. <laughs> uh, Okay, we have to say what it is. Metachlorians. The Metachlorian... It's, it's unbelievable that I'm sure after episode one, surely George Lucas read a forum or was exposed to the fact that everybody hated this idea that he used this concept of Metachlorians. Metachlorians from Scientology. <laughs> and then episode three... They live inside three, us and control us. Episode three comes out six years after episode one, right? Yeah. And six years later, he no, brings it no back There's no reference with, to him in episode two. That is such hubris to bring this back into the movie. Like, I don't care what you think. I'm putting this in the yeah, damn as movie. A, as opposed to introducing Jar Jar as a main character in episode one, bringing him back in two and giving him three or four lines, and then bringing him back in three with no lines. He's saying, saying I, I acknowledge. I, got, I learned. He's I in learned the my story. lesson. Yes. He's in the story. He's there in the background. But he's not going to be nearly as irritating. And in three, he's not irritating at all. Yeah, because he's, he has no lines. Yeah. But you would think that he would have learned his lesson on metachlorians. It's, 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 it's a certain kind of hubris to have that line in the movie. Anyway, he, sa- he suggests that the blankety blank blanks... <laughs> He, or that, that it's possible okay, to, no, no, no. So just to recap, there, he's telling Anakin, Anakin of an old Sith, Sith, Sith Lord, an old Sith legend of Darth Plagueis the Wise, who can manipulate the Force 
to create life. Mm. Now, that raises two really interesting questions for me. Number one... Is it true? Does Anakin not have a father? And if so, was he created by the Force? And if so, did somebody make that happen? That's compelling. And if so, wasn't it one of the two Sith Lords that were alive... At the time. At the time, and probably one of them was Palpatine. And and there is this weird joy that Palpatine has when he says he was killed by his student. I, I don't know if you got this, but I... Oh, absolutely. He just kind of assumed, I, I presumed anyway, that Plagueis was his Sith Lord, his, his master. And maybe Plagueis was the one who... Oh, I think absolutely, because then later on he says, my master taught me everything... everything. About the Force before he died. How did he die? Even the nature of the dark side. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's pretty explicit. And I think there might have been a novel, but I never, never read them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's pretty ex- implicit. Implicit that he... That... Uh, Plagueis was his master. Yes. Okay. And, um, you know, he says... Uh, anyway, the other, the other question is, how is what, is... what is his strategy for luring Anakin to the dark side? We need to have Anakin be afraid of something and not trust the Jedi. We know that Anakin has these visions about his mother because he's told Palpatine about what happened with his mother because Palpatine references it in their first scene together. Remember what you told me about your mother and the Sam people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Palpatine knows that Anakin is prone to having these weird dreams. And so he's dreaming about what? Padme. Mm-hmm. He's dreaming about what happening? Her dying. He's dreaming about her dying how? In pregnancy. In childbirth. Mm. What if Palpatine created Luke and Leia? That is a compelling possibility. I think that's I. I mean, there's no you can you can interpret it how you like because there's no way to know. Well, that would be interesting to if seven eight nine kind of dipped into that that well. I think I I think that. Somebody's got to write that story, mm. and, then, and I, I really think that he should have created them because because okay, I'm going to manipulate all this, and then I'm going to have her. She's going to die, mm. and the kids are going to die. Mm. Oh, well, Obi Wan stole them and hid them. Mm. <laughs> uh oh, I, I could talk you. I could talk out of it in, in one sense. Okay. Um, I could argue against that in one sense. In Episode One, it seems that Palpatine et al. and on the bad guy side have no idea where this person is who was born by the Force, if indeed that was your, what, your, your hypothesis. So what they can do with it is they can use the dark side to impregnate somebody with you know who is ultimately going to be the Dark Lord, but they don't know who's going to get impregnated with it. And by virtue of them getting mixed up with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in the first one, then that brings him to brings him to light and then we go, now we found the guy so now we can start executing our plans to bring him into the Sith the- Lord whereas if you go with your thesis if Luke it, it, that would be a very direct I can specifically focus who's going to be uh, birthed by uh, as opposed to this other thing so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little well the problem with the idea that he used many he used the force to create life aka Anakin and didn't know where he was is that it seems to be through pure coincidence that Anakin is ever discovered but you could always say that the force pulled them he pulled, got pulled in, into that narrative you could but then is the force evil well 
Per, well, how much how much more evil could he have been if he didn't have any kind of Jedi guidance? No, what I mean is is okay. Um, well, he might not have ever learned how to use his powers. I don't know. You don't know. Maybe that's that's what we're looking at. Is the Force kind of sees what happens if he doesn't have any kind of influence? I mean, if he has some kind of influence, at least at some point he turns against the Emperor. But if he didn't have any influence, who knows? Um, because the idea of spontaneous generation mm-hmm. is is pretty far fetched, you know, without an explanation. Mm-hmm. I would look for an explanation. Gotcha. And uh, the whole um, fatherless thing in episode one was, from many accounts, problematic. I guess the only, and even in the episode one edits that are out there, many of them exclude that line. However, if you're going to posit this theory that's, you know, at least some information in episode three, which might give some context into how that's possible, um, that uh, it'd be interesting to see if there are editors who like, you know, I'm going to keep that in there because I like going with this concept that maybe he was birthed by the Force. You know, if... Or Luke, by Luke, the dark side, or by Plagueis, or whatever. Um, if Luke and Leia were manufactured by Palpatine... Mm-hmm. Um, it would be like pride goes before a fall. He who digs a pit will fall in the pit. Because Palpatine uh, creates a scenario to cement power all over the galaxy, but he also is simultaneously creating the scenario in which he will be deposed. Unless he wants, you know, Vader's child, and he plans on, you know, teaching that child to be the next Sith Lord. Hmm. To follow in Vader's footsteps. He does suggest that the second that he gets a hold of Luke. Let's turn him. Yeah. And then Hmm. the second he finds out there's another sibling, he stops doing that. He says, oh, okay... Well, then I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm, because there's another one to yeah. be had. Yeah. Yeah, be, uh, there's certainly some <laughs> stuff there. <laughs> there's certainly some good stuff there. So, um, so between the political machinations of Anakin not knowing to trust the Jedi or to trust Palpatine, but being persuaded by Palpatine, because at least he's telling him, look, I can help you save uh, Padme, um... He does fall to that. He is he is won over by that argument for whatever reason. I mean, you, you understand the reasons, but it, it still feels a little pushed that he goes that far. Um, but he uh, he turns to the dark side, and uh, the first order of business is to wipe out the Jedi, the the Order sixty six, and for him to and to to him to send Vader off to the the Jedi school. And wipe that out. And simultaneously, he has to get rid of the Confederacy. And so he says, you kill the Jedi at the Academy, or the Temple. Yeah. Then go to kill the Confederates, and we'll take care of everybody else in the galaxy. Right. So all of the people, who, all of the, the Trade Federation guys from Episode 1 up until Episode 3, who uh, were acting on this Darth Sidious uh, advice, they, he, that's the Emperor, he sends Vader, hey, I'm sending my new... Uh, a, uh, apprentice, you know, just he's going to help take care of you. Double meaning, he comes and slaughters him. There was a lame pun in the book when uh, Gunray says, uh, "I, 
Gunray, one of the leaders of the Federation. Yeah. Uh, says, Lord Sidious said you would, you would, uh, we'd be left in peace. And he goes, pieces. Ah, uh, I like that. <laughs> you, you do? I like that line. Well, okay, it might have been delivered more cornerly. That might have been my really best way of delivering yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. But yeah, okay. <laughs> I think it was delivered in a more corny way in yeah. the book. And, um, and then, uh, Vader is sent to the volcanic uh, planet of Mustafar, which is where all this happened. Where that's where the Confederacy is. That's where the Confederacy is to do all this, and yes. so he's kind of chilling out this volcano planet. Obi Wan finds out that he has destroyed the Jedi Council, not the Jedi Council. Oh, the he Jedi killed, Council has been wiped out. Yeah. yeah, I never liked that word, and it's. Yeah. I, I thought when we were watching, I was wondering how he would cut that out, but it's used like four times in the movie, and it's. Ugh. Anyway, um, um, there was a. Um, Jimmy Fallon did a, a bit where he was playing Anakin, and it was cut in with with uh, 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 Natalie playing Amidala, and she's like, and, and like basically everything she said, he had a joke for it. And she's like, I heard you killed younglings. He goes, No, 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 I killed at younglings. Younglings comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So um, Obi Wan goes to Padme and says, Hey, you need to take. You know, he went to the dark side. You need to help me take him down. And Padme goes basically saying, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to tell you where he is. And he goes, okay, fine. And then she she goes to see him, and uh, he stowaways on her ship. Um, and then the second, I think maybe the, the when you talk about acting in all six of the movies and um, a performance where they have to really crank it up, you know, they've got to really go into the deep emotional, I think probably, I'd probably make a case that... Um, uh, Portman's plead to him ending with the you're breaking my heart line is probably the best in all, all six movies. Mm. Nobody goes into a high octane act, acting mode and is that powerful and effective. So uh, episode three has, I would, I would argue, you know, some of the, probably the best scene of acting, example Academy of acting. Academy Award winning actress, actress Natalie Portman. <laughs> Has the best acting moment in the entire series, as well as the most, uh, the best sequence, the most affecting sequence as well. You know what I think is the best acting moment in all six movies? No, I do not. When they were filming Empire Strikes Back, um, there was a line in the script where uh, Vader says, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. Obi-Wan's your father. And right before they, uh, like, they, they were all set up, and Lucas or Kirshner or somebody leaned into Luke's ear and says, by the way, the line is, I am your father. Action. L- Mark Hamill had no time to prepare his reaction, and his reaction is pure horror when he sees that. When, when, when he says that, he had, he, that was, that was, I mean, that was right out of his heart. That was uh, pure horror in his face. I, I, I get that. And I, I don't, I, for whatever reason, that particular moment, I'm not as affected by it mm. as the scene where Portman look, you know, is on the verge of tears. Mm. Um, I'm just, I, the other one's more affecting to me. Okay. Um, but anyway, she... She had time to rehearse. There you go. And, 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 and I, I'm, I'm not saying anything it's against two different styles. Portman. I'm not saying anything or against Mark Portman. Or Mark Hamill. I'm simply saying, Mark Hamill did that on the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, Obi-Wan has stowed away to the ship to go find, you know, with her, who goes to Vader, uh, and then he and Vader duke it out with a, a grand lightsaber series. They duke it out? They duke it out on the, 
on the uh, volcanic, uh, probably the least uh, in, the least inhabitable planet in the galaxy, yeah. <laughs> with an atmosphere, with an atmosphere <laughs> and uh, and machinery. I don't. I wish they explained like what they manufactured. They manufactured I think lava. It was there. a mining planet. Just a or mining, something. yeah. Um, certainly, they didn't have any OSHA rules over there. No. Um, so uh, it's this big epic fight, but simultaneously, what's happening on with this epic fight is Yoda confronting Emperor Palpatine. So you have I had read a spoiler for this movie uh, about this lightsaber duel, and it says the lightsaber sequence, the final duel, is at least like about ten minutes long, mm-hmm. and it at one point it involves four people. And, of course, it does, but it's actually two Dude. lightsaber duels. And when I read that, I was thinking, we're going to see... This is where Mace Windu's going to die. Mm. You know? I, I'm thinking, we're going to... The last Scragglers of the Jedi characters, uh-huh. plus Obi-Wan and Anakin. Like, two, it, Mace Windu was somebody else, and the other two are going to die. That's mm-hmm. what I thought. What we got was good. Yeah. But that would have been pretty good, too. <laughs> the, uh, the sequence with the, him and... Uh, with him fighting Vader, uh, Obi-Wan fighting Vader, is too long. It's a little too extreme, especially when they start doing a lot of the gymnastics of jumping from one platform to the next. Um, and I'm sure uh, when we watch the edit, I'm sure they're going to do some cutting around on that. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the fight with uh, Emperor and Yoda ends in a... Uh, again, like all, like you mentioned, a lot stalemate. of this is another stalemate. Almost all of them. That's a, that's for convenience' sake because we have to leave them both alive. Exactly. I don't feel that's the way with Anakin and Obi Wan. I feel like that was a legitimate end with a fight. Well, as what's interesting about the Obi Wan uh, Anakin fight is that Obi Wan's his he still has that you know compassion for him. If, and that's why he doesn't go up to him when he's on the ground absolutely. and sever his head or do um, the final thing. The he existence does, of he, Darth Vader is just as much Obi Wan's fault as it is Palpatine's. anybody else's. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's his failing, and it's really there's a really interesting uh, dichotomy because Anakin says, "If you are not with me, then you're my enemy," mm-hmm. and and um, Obi Wan says, "Only a Sith deals with absolutes. absolutes." Yeah. Five minutes later, he says. Chancellor Palpatine is evil, and Anakin says, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. And, and, and then Obi-Wan says, then, then you, you are, are lost. lost. Yeah. He is totally a hypocrite. Because he does, he's not dealing in absolutes. No, he is. Obi-Wan oh, is dealing Obi-Wan's in dealing in absolutes. Then you are lost. Sense. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and that's the, the, the contrast to that is, from my point of view, mm-hmm. which is not absolutes, then you are lost. Is an, is an assertion. Yeah. And so it's really interesting because Obi-Wan is just as flawed as Anakin, but he's 100% unbreakable. He's never going to turn to the dark side. True, true. But he's just as flawed. He is flawed. And I, I am convinced he is flawed because he had to train Anakin and raise Anakin. I think if it wasn't for Anakin, Obi-Wan would have been a by-the-book Jedi like Yoda. Yeah, but I, but I thought there was a, a thing, like if that Qui-Gon sort of existed outside the council, he followed a different path. He and did, he... But, but Obi-Wan doesn't. Obi-Wan doesn't. He has approval to train Anakin. The, the, the council does not approve An- uh, Obi-Wan, or Qui-Gon. They approve of Obi-Wan. Hmm. Obi-Wan is one of them. He's on the council. Hmm. Qui-Gon wasn't on the council. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it I think it was a it was like a toxin, quote unquote, or a poison or or some sort of a bacteria mm-hmm. that entered this, you know, quarantine area and affected both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um so he you know, he leaves them to die, but Emperor Palpatine has he has no more conflict. The Senate is the Empire has begun. Um 
the 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 war is over the let the empire reign forever the uh one of my favorite lines liberty dies to thunderous applause um and Palpatine knows, you know, he uses a little force sense, he realizes Vader's in trouble, they fly out to get him, and they bring him uh, to heal him, to give him to live, which uh, involves him, for the first time, we see Anakin in the Vader costume. There's a great moment in episode four, when Alderaan is blown up, and all of a sudden, Obi-Wan kind of staggers and falls down into his chair, mm-hmm. and what's wrong? I felt a great disturbance in the Force. Like as a if million. millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and suddenly silenced. Mm-hmm. There's an equally great moment, dialogue-free, in this movie, and that is Yoda reacting to all of the Jedi, Jedi. getting wiped out all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing, Concept. only it's actually more emotional, because we know these people that are dying, or we know of them. Yes. Plus, Yoda doesn't say anything. And, uh, yes, it it, it is handled silently. Unfortunately, it is the CGI, and, like, even the stick that gets dropped down is in CGI, and there's there's a part of me that disconnects from that. Um, but the... What are you talking about? Yoda's real. (laughs) The thing that I, that is, it's an unfortunate... uh, You can't, I, I don't think Luke, I don't think there's an easy solution to it, even if you were to redo this whole thing or start from scratch or talk to Lucas out, talk Lucas out of it. One of the big, you know, emotional gaps in this movie is that you have a droid army who you don't, they don't have personalities, they're not lives, you don't care if they get killed or not, followed by, and in conflict with a clone army who has no personality, you don't care if they die and whatnot. And and essentially it's all fodder. It's like a game of chess. It's all fodder. No matter if the pawns and the queens and the kings are, are down, the two players aren't injured. Exactly. And so there isn't... They're never... In the war, you never feel like there's anybody at conflict, at risk. There's no lives at stake. Except the Jedi. Well, only when... Well, the Jedi are also, in some sense... They're practically invincible, you know. I mean, they get killed off in Episode 2 and a lot more in Episode 3, obviously. Um, definitely not invincible. I get that. I understand. But... The point is, we don't get to know any of the Jedi. The only time the emotional impact comes into play when we are, when real risk is at at the brink is during the the Order sixty six sequence, which is another reason, perhaps, why it's effective, because we haven't in the other three episodes prior been exposed to any real uh, any real consequences of the war. I want to say two things. First of all, I think it's interesting that even though there's really no Thematic connection, sixty six is one number off from six six six, and I th- I think that was intentional. You think so? I think that was intentional. Yeah. But the other thing I want to point out is, to me, the moment when Vader walks into the council chamber and all the kids are hiding behind the chairs, I think back to when he was that age and he says, "No one can kill a Jedi," hmm. and then Qui Gon says, "I wish that were so." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like a, yeah, it's the most. I think that's the most impactful moment of the whole series. Not that line, but that sequence. You know, the Order sixty six sequence. So um, Vader's in full costume. Uh, he tells he's get, gets told by Palpatine that in his rage, he is in his anger, he's killed Padme. Now, do you think that that's like filling in the missing? Uh, um, genome with frog DNA in Jurassic Park or do you think that he's 
deliberately lying? Do you think he's saying, well, I don't know what happened to her. I think probably it seems like you killed her. No, I think it's further manipulation on his part to completely cement Vader into but, working by his side. Does Palpatine know she's dead? Because if not, it's going to come back to bite him later if she shows up again. I uh, we don't know. If Palpatine knows she's dead, Palpatine knows Luke and Leia are alive. If he knows that, uh, well, or you could say like you know the Force told him that the uh, that his mother was going to die before he can get to him, and now the Force is telling him that his, you know Padme is going to die. Maybe it was just a simple well, the Force worked over here, probably worked over here. Yeah, she's probably dead. Um, and yeah, your anger did it. To me, well, yeah, you're right. Either I don't way, know. It's to like, me, it's kind of like I'm trying to argue in, in that, favor of it, but on the other hand, moment, I, I feel you're. I feel where you're going. Palpatine seems to have pity or affection for him. Lord Vader, can you hear me? Yes, Master. What happened to Padme? It seems in your anger you killed her. I almost feel like in that moment he pities him, and I mean, just because you're a dark lord, that doesn't mean you're. You have no human emotions. Um, I mean, the very fact that you have emotions is why you are a Dark Lord of the Sith. Okay. Yeah, right? Compassion doesn't seem to be... But anyway, but anyway, um, you say compassion, but he he flies out to Musafar, leans over, and is delicately touching touching Anakin. Yeah. Yeah. I sense Lord Vader's in danger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right, you're right. right. But anyway, um, and also, he's been like a father figure to him. Since he was a little boy. So, I mean, it's believable. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when he says it seems you're saying you're angry, you killed her, it could be manipulation or it could be she's gone. We got to say something. Let's move. Yeah. In your anger, you killed her. Yeah. No, no offense. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, here's. Oh, okay. Now, this, this is a weird thing. Padme and Anakin are there. Anakin goes off and. Um, Wait, I think I remember how this works. Um, they, they know Obi-Wan's alive. Um, Anakin and, Va- and, 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 and Palpatine both know Obi-Wan's alive. Obi-Wan, th- this, is the, this is what they assume. Padme died or is dying. Obi-Wan gets her on the ship, flies off. We have her funeral. So she's on the record. She's dead. Everybody's at that funeral. Mm. She's holding that little snippet. And she's all covered up mm. because they've stuffed it to make it look like she was still pregnant. I think that's what I think it was. What, that's what the book said. Ah, so by virtue of the funeral, we're hiding the like fact that the babies are alive. Padme's dead in the ground. Pregnant. Game over. We're not going to do any crazy. She's dead. We're not going to try to dig the babies out. They'd be yeah, dead yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the emperor's not like, let's go make sure those babies are dead. No, no. no. It's just a, it's yeah, done I, with. I, Honestly, I think that what he says it seems in your anger you killed her. That's probably the official story. The question is, how did they? How did Naboo get Padme's body back when Obi Wan's a fugitive? Would they drop it off in the middle of nowhere and text somebody? Hey, nine one one text. I just left the body on front of the police steps. It's Padme. <laughs> well, I mean, back then it didn't. Like, there seems to be like a lot of technology that we're developing now. It that seems they don't like have quite then, a so. risk for them to fly back into the Empire. And drop her off on a major planet, and become a major political uh, in, a, in, a, in a political elite family, and have. I mean, they bring Leia to a, back into the heart of the Empire, but nobody knows she's Leia. Yeah, Luke that, goes off into the middle of nowhere, right? So he's safe. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to tell you, um, I read a, a short comic book story. I don't, I, I don't even think it was a whole comic book, but it took place. Yeah, 
five, six years after episode three. Luke's playing around on the moisture farm. And a half-man from the top up, half-robot from the top down guy shows up hunting Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's Darth Maul. Interesting. Shows up at the Lars Mosher farm, threatens him. He's hunting Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's like on his own. He doesn't work for the yeah, yeah, Empire yeah. anymore. And Obi-Wan almost like steps out from behind a doorway somewhere. Like he was watching them. And there's this big fight and he ends up killing Darth Maul. And when the dust settles, he looks up at Owen and Owen just gives him this death stare. Like how dare you bring them over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he says, that wizard's just a crazy old man. I really liked that story. Hmm. That really cemented the idea that, you know what? So much damage has already been done. Leave us alone. Luke, Luke is safe here. He doesn't need to be around you. Hmm. Interesting. Another great Owen moment. In in episode one, or episode four, when Luke is told he has to stay at the farm, he walks out and stares off into space at the, at the setting suns. And it's a beautiful scene. Yeah. And it's saying, that's where I want to be. I'm trapped here. Episode three ends with Owen standing there, looking off into the distance as a baby is brought into his life. Finally, he's safe as if, as Well, no, as if to say, Owen has wanderlust too, but he's trapped there now too. Oh, I see. I like that. Hmm. I mean, Owen's a minor character, but I, to me, him watching the sons is, is, a, is characterization. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it also explains why he's all grumpy when Luke wants to go off and everything. Because he he's been there his whole life, you know. <laughs> he inherited it from his father, and probably right around the time his father died, there was a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the we're in the rat's end of rat's ass end of space. And that brings us to the end of the film of Owen looking out at the two sons. Of course, iconic imagery from echoing iconic imagery from Episode Four with Luke looking out on the two sons on Tatooine. Um, which pulls us to the, you know, that's the entirety of episode three, the transition from um, Anakin to Darth Vader. I gotta cut I gotta cut in here, I gotta cut in here. There is a song by a guy named Jeremy Messersmith called Tatooine. Have you heard it? No. It blows my mind every time I hear it. And there's, there's the, the, the line that's in there the most, it is true on so many levels, and it is twin sons of Tatooine taught me everything I know. And if you think about that, when you see Luke and Anakin off in the galaxy having their great adventures, the twin sons of Tatooine taught them everything they know. On another level, that song could be written about a person who grew up watching Star Wars hmm. and was and was inspired to be a, a, a filmmaker or a writer or an actor because of Star Wars. Hmm. On yet another level... Anakin and Luke can be the twin sons of Tatooine. Mm. And that's... You guys gotta check that song out, because it blows my mind. It's it's simple and sad and sweet and perfect and wonderful, and check it out. Alright, twin sons of Tatooine. Um, the... The thing that a fan edit needs to accomplish in this, if possible, is to help make the emotional transition of, um, of Anakin to Vader more more effective um, 
we're going to be watching Late Waters, Late Riders uh, episode three. I think episode three, what's it called? Uh, Dawn of the Empire. Dawn of the Empire. Um, I, I said earlier, way back when we did episode one, that I wanted to, to explore different fan editors and their takes here, but we're actually returning to Late Riders Wait, episode one. Is that about Don Knotts? We're returning to episode one's Late Rider uh, fan edit. Uh, episode one, his, his uh, episode one was very strong, so now we're watching his episode three. Um, and uh, I guess we're going to find out and comment on the other side of this about the changes that he made, what, why they were effective, um, and uh, how it helps uh, polish this movie, which is already a pretty strong Star Wars, I think it's a pretty strong Star Wars edition. Uh, arguably uh, placed somewhere between uh, the the third or the fourth best of the Star Wars. Um, and uh, so that's that. So thank you for listening part one of this episode. Uh, we'll be on the flip side uh, talking about Late Riders Episode 3 Fan Edit. Thanks for listening. Some part Just finished watching the fan edit of episode three, uh, Dawn of the Sith. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, however, we decided to do something a little bit different, kind of a, as a last-minute deal. And uh, instead of just watching, you know, the, the fan edit itself, we actually watched the fan edit with the director's or the fan edit commentary on it. So um, I, it was sort of a last-minute thing to do, and I don't know if we... I kind of got some insight as to, you know, this editor and a lot of the choices that he made. Uh, we were both... We both had seen the fan edit previously, so this is not like we... But I noticed some things I hadn't noticed before because he pointed them out. Because of the commentary, yeah. yeah. So, um, but let's, let's jump into it. Um, first off, what I, one of the things I noticed in hearing this commentator is that he is clearly well well versed in Star Wars uh, literature and whatnot. He mentions reading having read the screenplays, he mentions having read the novelizations and uh, listening to the fan edit commentary tracks that are on the other Star Wars versions, the differences between the DVDs and the Blu-rays and whatnot. And so this guy comes with comes to this edit with a lot of background. And I think that that shows there's a competency in the storytelling and what he's trying to get across that comes throughout the entire edit. And it's, I, I, I found that particularly striking on my side because as a fan editor, and all fan editors kind of at some point eyeball whether they want to tackle the prequels, um, if I did so, I wouldn't do so with that kind of background. I would be doing it from you know somebody who's kind of a casual fan of Star Wars, not a diehard fan. And uh, it makes me pause and realize, you know what, maybe if I set to do something out like this, it wouldn't be that good. Because I, I don't have the nuance or the understanding of the intricacies of how things tie in from one, uh, you know, one episode to another. 
So I felt like uh, he was the he, he was very much in simpatico with you in, in, in knowledge and depth of Star Wars. Yeah, he, he repeatedly referred to uh, Bail Organa's ship as the Tannin Four, which is never called that in the movies. Really? But yeah, but that's what it's called. You open up the book of Star Wars. Yeah. Play the Star Wars customizable card game. <laughs> Tannin Four. Tannin Four, the ship that the it's episode four it's starts called, off. It's called a Corellian blockade runner, but the name of it is the Tannin Four. Tannin Four. And that's the that's the shot that it's like really white inside. It's with mm-hmm. the opening yeah, yeah. of episode four. Yeah. Okay, so you know we talked about on the first part of the ep- of the episode that you know this particular movie, can, certainly compared to the other two before it, is that it doesn't need large sweeping changes. It does need nips and tucks and a little bit better uh, approach to really selling the idea that he can be persuaded in this one movie to go. From uh, Ewan McGregor's friend to Obi Wan's friend to Darth Vader, and so we do see bigger changes in that part of the story. But for the most part, what we're looking at is just little tiny uh, dialogue removals here and there. Um, the film, of course, starts off the same with the 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 spaceship, uh, the fight scene in the in the air, the space battle in the air. That takes about eight minutes less than time than the other one does. That's right. I, I noticed that the runtime on this was uh, an hour and 53 minutes. Yeah, that was 220. 220. So we're looking at basically... About a half hour cut. About 30 minutes. So. 20, 30 minutes cut out of this. Um, so the first chunk that is cut out is... Well, actually, we should talk, actually, the first thing that's really edited is the scroll. Yeah. Um, I don't. I just remember, like, I don't but remember... That was the case in the, the episode one, also. Well, yeah, he... Uh, late, late writer did it's episode... It seems like, I mean, because what you're saying is essentially the same, but basically it's like, I'm making this my own. I'm, I'm not changing anything. I'm rewriting it so that I wrote it. I felt the, the you know, the start off with, the, like, the weird war exclamation point. I wasn't down with that. Yeah. That didn't seem to fit the regular style of the other uh, scrolls. So I, I, I do like the fact that that was but redone. But that word war exclamation point was encapsulated one of the things I like about the beginning of episode three is that it's totally a medius race. You just—it's like you turn the page and everything's happening all at once. Yeah. And that war says, "Guess what? Boom! We're right in the middle of a war. We're in it. Gotcha. Right in the middle of a battle." Gotcha. I—I I, like you know when I got when I got the soundtrack and I I, have, I love the opening um, more than any of the other Star, Trek, Star Wars movies. I love the opening music from Episode Three because when I listen to it, I feel like it's in Medias Race. I feel like whatever I'm listening to is picking up right in the middle of something. Mm. Yeah, uh, and this obviously kicks right into that. So this the 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 jump start of this movie is that that space action sequence and some of the stuff that's been removed from that. There's some at some point like there's these little tiny droids that buzz droids, buzz droids. Yeah, you say it with such enthusiasm. End up landing on uh, Obi Wan and on Obi Wan's ship and kind of and then there's this elongated sequence where um, Vader or not Vader at the time but Anakin is shooting them off and it's like not a good idea and there's a whole little thing that happens around that Uh, all of that has been removed so we have a a quicker uh, establishment of them getting onto the ship where um, where uh, Palpatine is sort of being kidnapped Um, he's puppeteering the whole thing puppeteering yeah (laughs) puppeteering (laughs) Um, but uh, the 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 the, the uh, a couple of egregious things that have been removed is um, the actions by R two D two, 
So he's not the, a hero in any sense. Um, I like that stuff, but it didn't contribute anything to the movie other than just a little ha-ha. Yeah, isn't R2 cute? And, oh no, he's kind of a badass here with the way he lights them on fire. That's kind of how R2 always appears. Yeah. He seems kind of simple and docile, and yet he does much of the work in all six movies. <laughs> exactly. Um, the scene where there's like this weird thing where they kind of go into an elevator and it's going up and then it gets stopped and then, and then they jump out of it and then they the ceiling of the elevator and jump yeah. up and out of it and then, it, then the elevator's going up and then it's going to come down and, uh, and the R2's on the other end fixing it and it's it's a real complicated convoluted thing that is all chopped out cut out in this one so the Jedi get on the elevator, boom, then we cut to them exiting the elevator at the top, uh, going to the throne room. I guess, it's the, I don't know if it's the command center where uh, all the major players are, which is, in this case, Dooku and Dooku and uh, Palpatine. And the next really interesting cut that he does, it's actually not just removing you know uh, distractions, is a, is a character, a cut that he does that actually changes a little bit of the character of Anakin. Is that in the original, he has this. He and uh, Obi Wan are duking it out with Dooku, and uh, he gets the two lightsabers. Dooku falls to his knees. He's able to cut off his arms, and without he, hesitation, in this edit, without hesitation, he takes the two lightsabers, boom, and decapitates him. But in the original, there's this. He has the two things. He doesn't want to kill him, and Palpatine. Said, uh, eggs him on, gotta do it, he's gonna, you know, blah, 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 you gotta do it, and then he, then he, then he kills him. Mm-hmm. But the, the hesitation and the doubt play to this idea that, okay, he's still on the fence and wanting to be a Jedi, but when you just hesitate, we do, when there is no hesitation, that, that establishes that he is much more, maybe a little bit closer to the, to the dark side than the film is earlier, earlier, earlier establishes, so it's a little bit easier to kind of push him over the edge. Um, following that, um, they go, there's the, the plane crash sequence where it lands and, uh, then the movie starts with the plot, the separation of, uh, or, of the conflict between the chancellor's, uh, uh, expanded powers and the Jedi wanting him to relinquish those powers. Exactly. And, um, I don't remember if it was on the fan ed- or the podcast or, uh, just talking to you, but we were talking about how in the book it goes into the extensive detail of the political conflict between the, 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 the Chancellor and the Jedi. And um, I wanted to read you a paragraph that, that I think encapsulates what's missing from the movie about what's going on when the Chancellor puts Anakin on the... On the and this is the Star Wars Episode Three novelization. This is Yoda talking when, when, when they're saying that uh, Anakin will be on the council. Okay. The Chancellor's re- representative you are, Yoda said, and it is as his representative you shall attend the council. <clears throat> Sit in this chamber you will, but no vote will you have. The Chancellor's views you shall present. His wishes, his ideas and directives, not your own. He's merely a representative. He does not have a say he, he in anything. He might as well have a hologram of the Palpatine there. Yeah, he doesn't have a say in anything. Right. That yeah, that should be that would have been nice to have that a little more further embedded <coughs> that he, he is a, there's a, all he kinds is a of, he's on the council in name only. There's all kinds of you know, um in in a political debate or in a in a political season, the, the candidates are smearing each other left and right. But when they get up on stage, they they, they act cordial mm-hmm. and there's a modicum of respect. Shaking hands and that's what we see 
in Star Wars, in Episode Three. But this is what's really going on. Mm. They are bickering. They're, they're silently. They're silently. Yes, it's 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 all subtext. It's like, um, thank you for your time, Django. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. It's like what they're saying is not what they're meaning. Yes. This and th- like the whole time there's a struggle, and that's a really good representative. Yeah. Of it. I want to break down the 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 ordering of sequences that uh, late writer does when it comes to. Um, Anakin and his, you know, learning of information from the Jedi versus Palpatine, and why in this version it's more effective. Because ostensibly the same information is brought to him; it's in the theatrical cut, and it's just a. On the surface, it seems like just a very small massage of the of those scenes. And why is it so much more effective this time around? Well, one of the things that I think is fascinating because when I think of books, I, I mean, I can't imagine a scenario where. I pick up, I don't know, Great Expectations and decide, you know what, I'm going to put this chapter before that chapter and have it still work. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, not only not only is it in that medium, like, doesn't even... You know, maybe it's because we're, we're dealing in, in film as sort of fragments. You know, novelizations are much, you know, really one long big thing. You kind of take a microscope to it. But in film... You get a fragment of these characters saying these things and so on. Um, but logic... Okay, so in the original, the, the logic that Anakin follows is um, he... They, they land on the Earth. Well, not the Earth, but Cor, Cor, is it Coruscant? Yeah, they land on Coruscant. Can't, can't, how? Uh, I think it's pronounced Coruscant. I think that's Coruscant. how they pronounce it. Okay. Um, and the Jedi have a meeting with Anakin. No, no, no. Uh, Obi-Wan tells Anakin, hey, you've been asked by the senator, by Palpatine, to have like a special meeting with him uh, to, thank, to, to thank you for the heroics in the space battle. And uh, Anakin basically says, okay. And he goes to meet Palpatine. And where Palpatine uh, in the scene is that he meets in like this kind of sterile uh, office room. In which Palpatine tells him, uh, "I want you to be my eyes and ears on the council, right? Uh, on the Jedi Council. Like I have a little bit of distrust for him." Following that, he, uh, um, I think he says, "Like I want." And then I guess following that, he's immediately put on the council as a master. Is that he's correct? Not a master. He, they say, "Well, we'll be on the council, but you're not a master." So then he's on the council. He's not a master, and he's the eyes and ears of Palpatine. Um, and then that scene ends. And then he has a, a meeting out in the hallway with uh, Obi-Wan who says, hey, we want you to be our eyes and ears on Palpatine. Then he catches up with Palpatine in the opera sequence in which Palpatine says, uh, he, can, he, he can sense that uh, uh, Anakin's a little off and he says, they, they sent you to spy on me, didn't they? And he has to say yes. And he says, see, the Jedi cannot be trusted and yada, yada, yada. So... I think in, in some ways that, that, that logically unfolds because what you really want to be left with at the end of all of this is uh, Anakin really doing a 180 on how much he trusts the Jedi Council. In this version, he comes to the planet. They say, hey, go talk to Pompatine. He's wanting to speak with you. Thank, thank you for whatever. And he does, but instead of starting at the scene in the, the sterile, lo- uh, sterile office space scene, it cuts to the opera scene. 
And so the very first time that they sort of get together, I guess they must cut out the part where he says, you know, they told you to spy on me because that hadn't been established. Yeah. So all he tells him is this long story about uh, um, him not trusting the Jedi. I believe that's part of it. The Jedi cannot be trusted. That the, there's another thing, the dark side has powers, and then he alludes to the fact that he's having these nightmares about, um, uh, or does, I guess he flat out tells him, like, I know you're married to... No, he doesn't say that. Not in that scene? No. It's, 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 uh, it's in the scene where he just said, I'm, I'm a Sith Lord, and I have the power to save oh, that one. your wife. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. the moment where it comes out. Okay, but in this one he implies, hey, uh... The, the dark side has different powers and the Jedi are not letting you are not are the Jedi are not telling you everything you need to know. And that's all it is. Then it cuts to him going to it doesn't say anything about him becoming a master or being on the Jedi Council. Then it cuts to um Is it is it then it cuts to the scene where Obi Wan tells him they want him to no, that I'm happens, a, I'm a little I'm a losing that, that I'm losing after the scene, order. That happens after the scene where they put him on the council. Okay, so but there's a new scene in this movie, which we've seen it before. But I don't really know what they were saying because the volume we're, is off. Yeah, we're but it's where they're with, where they're discuss where where um, Obi Wan Yoda and uh, Mace Windu are discussing the implications if they were to put Anakin on the Council, what it would mean and what it would do and what it, the precedent of it. Yes. You know, then you see them put him on the Council, and it makes a lot more sense than that they were doing oh, it. Popping says you're on the Council, okay, because. The whole point is Palpatine is trying to gain control over the Senate, and now he's trying to wield control over the Jedi, and the Jedi are like, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with having him have a representative, but you're not part of the council. So he, they, they do put him on the council in this one, but it's... He, he gets to he's already, meetings, but he's not really part of the council. Right, and he's been prepped on this idea that the Jedi are not to be trusted, and so when they put him on the council, but not as a master, now the doubt... Now he's the doubt is starting to get secure. I really think that the book does it better, where it says you get to sit in our meetings, you don't but you can't. Vote. Yes. he's not really part of the council. He's just allowed to go to their meetings exactly. in the book. In the book, yeah, yeah. Um, and then following that, he get then he get then that gets hammered further with uh, uh, Ewan McGregor coming out and telling him, "Hey, look, you need to spy on Palpatine." Yeah. Um, then he goes back to Palpatine, and then it's the lobby sequence. Where we don't trust him, blah blah blah. Does that segue? I, I forget. Does that segue immediately into the 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 scene where he reveals he's a Sith? I guess that's later on. No, because um, it's it's when they when they have remember remember the scene where they land on the planet and and Mace Windu says, "Okay, well Count Dooku's dead, so I guess the war's over, right?" And and Palpatine says, "No, no. war's not over. We still have the Grievous." Droid army. He says, "Okay, well then we're gonna find Grievous. That's our top priority." Mm-hmm. When Obi-Wan engages Grievous, they they send Anakin to send word to the Chancellor that Grievous has been killed. And they said and he says, Observe and watch and his reactions will determine. Yes. You know, and that's when when Anakin leaves, he says, I sent us a plot to destroy the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So it's not until Obi Wan has engaged Grievous that Anakin goes in and he says, mm, it, Well, you should break through the fog of lies of the Jedi. Allow me to teach you the subtleties of the Force. Gotcha. Or whatever it was. Yeah, was. yeah. And then, so that's the Sith reveal. Um, so, the thing is, is that... One thing that Anakin just doesn't seem to grasp at all, as soon as he finds out that, chance, that 
that the Chancellor is a Sith. He, he, there's no indication that it occurs to him that everything the Chancellor's been saying is a flat-out lie because he's a Sith. Right, yeah. Well, that's true, but at the same time, in this edit, he, the Sith, uh, he drops a line basically saying, hey, you don't, the, the Jedi cannot be trusted. And then he hears, he, he goes to the Jedi and he starts seeing them doing a lot of un-Jedi things. He can be on the council, but he can't be a master. But he's one reacting of the, to he's the, one the invasion of, of the Sith. He's one of the best uh, 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 Jedi, but he's not going to go with Ewan McGregor uh, to Obi-Wan over to finish out Drogavis. He's, uh, and then finally the real catalyst in this edit in particular is more, made more effective. Uh, Mace Windu is basically going to kill Palpatine a defenseless Palpatine, ostensibly. And uh, and so, over and over and over again, he gets... He's had... But in, as opposed to the Jedi telling, telling to him first, look, we're going to have to do this, this, and that, and then when he then he hears uh, Palpatine saying they can't be trusted, and who it's the, it kind of depends on who he hears that from first. But at the same time... If, You're right, he should have... If I have a friend who... Um, comes along and manipulates my emotions, my reactions, and real information to convince me that you're a dangerous person and that I shouldn't I shouldn't hang around you because you're gonna you know you do bad things whatever. And then P.S. I'm a psychopath. The whole thing should come unraveling at that point. Right. The, the oh, whole thing, not just uh oh, he's a psychopath. What do I do about it? It's not. He's a psychopath, and Bezos a dangerous person that I have to stay away from. You're right. Simultaneous. There should have been a long series of thought of this guy's a Sith Lord, a Sith Lord who's the who's been elected the the the, the you know the, the Sith leader and the of the Jedi Senate. are mortal enemies. Of course, the everything Lord, he says bad about the Jedi is going to be colored by the fact that he's a Sith Lord, the Sith Lord not who, because he's the Chancellor. The Sith Lord who has an army at his disposal, a Sith Lord who has a kind of army at his disposal that is uh, is, is that, that can't rebel against him. You know, and, so, and all of those things should have been like a thought process, not just. Okay, well, you know, uh, why don't you just hang out here? I'm gonna go get some other Jedi and see what we can do about arresting you. And see, this is the this is what I think is truly, even though I don't really feel like he is using dark side power until he goes to Mustafar. It seems like when he's killing the Jedi, he's doing it out of reluctance. He doesn't really want to do it, but he thinks they're bad. You're talking but about Mus- Anakin, yeah. When Mu- and Mustafar, he's just like, I'm gonna kill you all without any remorse. Mm-hmm. But all this stuff's probably going on in his head. I wonder if the Jedi can really be trusted or not. I wonder if the chances can really be trusted or not. And what it all comes down to is, which version of events will allow me to save Padme? And that's it's the, all about himself. And that that line, it is all about himself. But that the the I the thing is is that uh, Palpatine has said I can save Padme. And then in this one, it's following that after he hears that the 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 dark side can save Padme. In this one, then he cuts to having the conversation with Yoda and basically saying, hey, I'm having these nightmares about Padme. And, but Yoda doesn't say, don't worry, the light can, the light side can save Padme. What, all Yoda's can say is, you, you, you gotta... Don't you, be attached. Don't be attached. And he does not want to hear that. Right. So that is all the reason more to, for him to want to be persuaded, to convince himself maybe, that the dark side is the way to go. Um, that scene, that's a really interest, That's a really good cut in this one where you, he, he first hears about... Because that's not how it is in the original. In the original, he talks to Yoda first. And Yoda says, you got to let go. And then he talks to um, 
uh, Palpatine. Palpatine later. I think it, I, th- I like the idea better that he, he, he goes, he's, he's listening to Yoda, but he's already like, but he's hiding the information that I know that the dark side can do it. I yeah. like that a lot more than the, the, uh, than how it's handled in the original. Like I, I, I always like in this, when I saw it this time, I was like, I was, even though we were listening to the commentary track, I could, you know, I can keep up visually what's going on. I wanted, I sensed in that moment that he's like, T- t- tell me you can do this, you know. Y'all couldn't do it with maybe you couldn't do it with. Uh, uh, couldn't save my mother when I had these dreams because we didn't know what was going on, but now we do, you know. You know what's interesting? Okay, remember I was just saying that he's wrestling with. Well, maybe James was a Sith. He immediately went and reported that to the Jedi, which suggests that he, in that He's, moment he trusts the Jedi more than than the Chancellor. Yes. And then, but then he goes and he sits on his own, and he's always thinking about is if they kill, if they if Palpatine's taken away from me, I will lose Padme. Yes. And he goes back, and ultimately, even though his argument he has to stand trial, seems like a good argument. What he's really saying is, and it's cut out of the the in this version. He says, "I need him." That's a, that's a powerful line right there. That is not a Jedi thing to say, mm. and um, and so, you know, he does. He you know he he basically says, "Okay, help me save Padme, and I'm on your side." Mm-hmm. And when he when he when Padme confronts him about it, he says, "Look, this isn't a, this isn't the end game. I can overthrow the Emperor, and we can rule together." The, Anakin never truly is loyal to Palpatine as a Sith Lord. He's loyal to him as a Chancellor, right. but never as a Sith Lord. As a Sith Lord, he says, you are a means to an end. Once I've saved Padme, I don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. We can rule the galaxy together. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, he believes Padme is dead. Well, Padme is dead. Mm-hmm. And all of that's gone. And all, all he has left is, I wiped out the Jedi, I put this this organization of power... And I don't have Padme to roll with, so I'm just going to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. And then I find out I have a, a son, son, and my first reaction is, in the can... opening crawl, Lord Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker. It doesn't say, Lord Vader, obsessed with apprehending the rebellion. No. It's not a, He doesn't care about the rebellion. He's going after his son, and as soon as he finds his son, he says, we can rule the galaxy together, together and overthrow the Emperor. He's never truly loyal to the Emperor. He isn't, and the and it's, it goes to show that you know we we talked about previously about the whole uh, apprentice. Uh, there's only two when it comes to the, to the Sith, and that it's only a matter of time before the student comes to kill the master. Although that does that is conflict that is contradicted by in Return of the Jedi when he brings Luke to the Emperor. He's totally subservient to the Emperor that entire thing uh, until the Emperor is going to kill Luke. But yeah. He's also wrestling in, internally at this point because Luke is trying to bring out his old self, and he's wrestling internally. Sure. And so it's not like, well, do I really want to weather for throw the Emperor? Is that really going to That's satisfy me? That's the beginning me? of him coming. Or back am to I his really humanity. concerned about redeeming my son? Am I concerned about yeah being looking like a good man in my son's eyes? Because what happens is he takes the helmet off. You were right. You were right, right about me. Yeah. I think that's why he doesn't just say, "Let's kill the Emperor and take over the galaxy." Because now he's really, is this really what I want to do? That's right. Um, so. The one of the better, and we didn't talk about this in the first part, um, but one of the better edited scenes in this movie is this: this the reveal of this, of Palpatine being a Sith has been established. The Jedi know he's a Sith. The Jedi are assembling a small crew to go to confront Palpatine, and Anakin's not in that crew. 
So Anakin is left in this room. I don't know if it's established which room he's in, but it's like a... I think it's a Jedi Council chamber. Is it the Jedi? Yeah, he's, he's in this room. He's all by himself. And he's just thinking about and the events that are going on off screen. At the same time, uh, Padme is in her, I guess, her apartment or whatever. And she, too, is kind of looking out the window and you can, she's worried about him. And between the cutting between him and his, you know, thinking about her and the, thinking about what's going on with Palpatine and her cutting, they're in, they're in completely two different spaces. But thematically, they're both looking and talking and thinking at each other. Um, they could just as easily, as easily be sitting in silence by each other's side holding hands. Yes. And it's edited to get that exact same effect. Um, I really like that. And I, I think I made a comment this time around that what ruins that editing uh, uh, effect is the fact that three, at the end of it, 3PO kind of walks in. Uh, that I would cut that out. Uh, 3PO is still in this one. But that's what uh, puts um, Anakin over the edge to go back to uh, Palpatine. And in the original... And he's not intending to overthrow <clears throat> the Jedi. He's simply going there to say, look, I've got to make sure nothing bad happens to Palpatine. I need this guy to help me save Padme, etc. Yeah. Uh, but when he gets there, the the Jedi... Oh, well, we should talk actually real quick about the action sequence in which uh, Palpatine does kill the Jedi that come to arrest him. In the original, he's you know he's an old dude. He like does some swirling thing. He kills three master Jedi with relative ease. He's jumping all over the place, doing like some Yoda, you know, flips around and whatnot. And it's the it doesn't come off very well. Certainly in the original, in the novelization, you know when he stand when he stands up and says it's treason. Then in the novelization, it's it suggests that there there are, there are security recordings going on in the room. And he says that, and it's not like it's not like an, a camera; it's a recording. Mm. It's just an audio recording. And he specifically says that line to suggest they have come in here to overthrow me. You're under arrest, and I well, I understand it, not yet. Yes. You know, blah blah blah. He says that line as a defense line because the next thing you hear is zing zing zing. You don't know who's being killed. Ah, interesting. And um, I think it would have been really great since he has been under their noses for years. Who knows how powerful he really is? Rather than stand up, ignite his lightsaber. As he stands up, all of them fall to their knees, choking. Yeah. And one of them, Mace. or maybe one other one of them, manages to escape. But they fall to each choking because he's more powerful than them. Because the very fact that he can sit in the same room with them and they don't know he's a Sith, he's more powerful than them. Yeah, because how sensitive they are to the light and the dark side and everything yeah, else. Uh, Yoda's sitting five feet from him and says, the dark side clouds everything. He doesn't say, the dark side's emanating from someone in this room. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that could have been handled in such a way to be like, oh, like yeah. really take a step back to realize what kind of adversary. Yeah, because he if, is. if if Palpatine stood up and all of a sudden they all fell to their knees, and Mace was able to escape from it, he would be that much more determined to kill him instantly, instantly. regardless yes. of the law. This yeah. guy can just guy just choked four Jedi Masters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he bested them with a sword, but that could have been luck. Yeah. Rising and they all fall. That's not luck. That's that's one hundred percent power. Power. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but in this scene, you know, because we don't have that footage, what we do have is in, in the way that's what, that's what I would have done. The way this is edited is he lunges towards the Jedi Masters and quickly kills one, and then two, and then three. Real, almost like, well, like they're caught off guard and they don't have yeah. time. By to the react. way, why aren't they in the Clone Wars? 
why aren't oh those those actors? I mean, there's those... like four Jedi Masters sitting there in the middle of the Clone Wars. I mean, I guess they're just not needed. I are you talking about the animated show? No, the Clone Wars that are going on outside of Coruscant. Oh well, I always assumed that there were different fights going on in all different kinds of places. They just weren't tasked to yeah. go to the, the the ship and get Palpatine. But anyway, um, so that is handled better. Uh, obviously, your idea I think would be even more striking, but. Uh, it is handled better that the, he's able to take out these three uh, these three master Jedi relatively with ease, and then um, it comes up with you know Mace and him are fighting, and he gets the better of him and he has him up against the wall. Well, you just said and he gets the better of him. You got to be more specific. Mace gets the better of Palpatine. He's on the ground up against the wall. And this is the first time you see Palpatine use... In the original, this is the... Well, in this one too, but in the original, it's the first time he uses the lightning, force lightning. And in the, the first time you see it, because Dooku used it in part two. That's true. But in this one, he uses the lightning. It's ab- In the original, he uses the lightning. It's absorbed by uh, his lightsaber. It's deflected by his lightsaber. Deflected by the lightsaber, comes back and turns his face into the face that we remember from the, 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 uh, uh, the OT. And uh, that's when... Um, Oh, I guess uh, Anakin had already walked in at that point. Yeah. Um, the the so force Anakin, started after Anakin walked in. Anakin sees the transformation, and then uh, as he's weak, uh, you know, having exhausted his power using the lightning, Mace Windu uh, rears back to do the final death blow with his uh, purple lightsaber, and, uh, and that's when Anakin says no and kicks him off the edge. Yeah, he's saying no, because uh, I need him. Well, Mace. He says no later. Well, he's <laughs> when by kicking him off the man. edge, he's in, he's internalizing no. <laughs> yeah. Um, at which point he can, you know he fights him. He stops the lightsaber from hitting him, and uh, it looks like Palpatine was sort of feigning weakness and continues with his lightning and kills I him. I want to say one thing, and I am not a fan of the no at the, the at the at end. The end, of the, the end. I'm okay. not a fan of it. So don't think that I am secretly trying to be, apologize for it, but. This is the first time we've seen Anakin where we don't see Anakin. We don't see his face. We've seen his face all three movies. Now he has to convey the most intense emotion that his character has gone through without seeing his face. That's difficult. So I understand why Lucas put the no in there because we don't really... Without being able to see his face, Padme's dead. We don't even know what that means. We've never seen him in a suit before. We yeah. don't know what his breathing sounds like or why. He's got to convey it verbally, I think. And he, the better thing is just to not see him find out she's dead. Because once she finds out he's dead, you've got to convey it somehow. Because this is the this is the most emotional moment for Darth Vader ever. And as Vader, yeah. In the, in the first three, so far, mm-hmm. this is the most emotional moment in his life. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing a mask. That's... The, Okay. As, a, as a storyteller, your hands are tied there. Well, as a storyteller, you you know you're up against a difficult situation. That's why so you, you chop it. You, well, you try different approaches and find out which one works. I mean, yeah. he could just as easily fall into his knees. He could have just as easily. But see, I just I was thinking about that before I brought this up. He stumbles out of that thing. I mean, uh-huh. he doesn't even know how to use his legs. Uh huh. I don't think he would risk falling to his knees because, for all he knows, he's going to break off. Well. I... Or he, the, or he, he could just really, he doesn't seem to be able to bend his knees. Or he could like you know he's like in, he doesn't have to say anything. He just kind of like he lowers the head, and all of a sudden like there's this like force coming out of him, and it's breaking yeah, everything, yeah, and everybody's kind of that. weakening. Like and maybe Emperor Palpatine for the first time is like, oh shit, you could have done that, you know? Yeah, that that that's that's what you could have done. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, Palpatine, uh, you know, he uses the Force lightning when, right. when Mace Windu has his arm chopped off, falls off the ledge, and uh, dies due to gravity, <laughs> slamming him into the ground. Now, in this one, um, on that final confrontation, uh, Mace has the lightsaber to his throat, Anakin comes in, and instead of the first Force lightning exchange where it comes back and melts his face or whatever, transforms him, Mace Windu just rears back and is ready to kill him. Anakin comes in and stops him, and then you know cut, cuts off his arm. He's falling off the edge, and and then at the end he uses his lightning just as he's falling off. Um, well, his lightning is what pushes him over the edge. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so two things the, that edit causes two things to happen. One, it quickly uh, it shows that you know from Anakin's perspective. Again, he's having to be convinced that the Jedi are not what they appear to be. And killing a defenseless, uh, ostensibly a defenseless person, falls into that category. But then Palpatine does the exact same thing. Mace has no hand and no weapon, and Palpatine <coughs> unleashes the Force lightning on him. Mm-hmm, that's true. Uh, and which, then, which shows that Anakin has already made this choice in his heart, and he's ignoring logic. Yes, yes. And uh, light, the lightning hits Mace, he falls out the window, but, but you miss, because you don't have that exchange, you miss the transformation thing. So why does he look all messed up afterwards? Well, there's no real line of dialogue to kind of bridge that thing together, but I think, and he talked about it in the commentary track, is you're supposed to intuit that after all this time, these years, decades of planning and prepping the Sith takeover of... Uh, from from the Republic to the Empire, he's been hiding and masking and trying to be, appear a benevolent, you know, senator or rep- representative. Uh, and now, for the first time, he's able to let his true self come out, and that's what he looks like. The Emperor. I, I also think it's, it's interesting that by the end of this movie, both of our antagonists are severely disfigured. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um. And I think. Of all, you know, when we talk about all the what he's doing as a fan editor and what he's really modifying here, from the ending of the space action, the opening action set piece, to this moment where the Emperor has revealed himself and he has uh, pledged his, you know, he becomes Darth Vader, that's, that's the success story of this edit. Everything else is nips and tucks and good choices and... Uh, you know, like we talked about the the lizard thing that uh, Obi Wan is running around with in um, in uh, where he's going out to fight grievances, and I pointed out that I didn't care for it. I think it's annoying; it doesn't look that good. He felt the same, except that he was really annoyed by the sound effect. And he talks about how much time and energy and he, he went into adjusting the sound effect of that, uh, of fashioning his own sound effect of the thing, so it sounds more like a roaring beast and less like a squeaking whatever. Um, the uh, the the sequence. Oh, I thought this was a really nice touch. You know, I said in the in the first part that the best sequence in all of the six episodes was the uh, Order sixty six sequence, uh, but there was room to improve it. One was there's a recurring line. He says Order sixty six is in place, and then you start to see the. The, the the stormtroopers turn on the Jedi, but then there's another sequence where a guy is flying in heli- an airplane, and he, you hear the order again. Order sixty six has been implemented. Then he turns on a Jedi. Uh, so to remove the second part of that, in two, it's that he only has to say it once, and everybody's on board. 
uh, that was a clear, uh, easy edit to, to make to make that work. But the other thing that I thought was really effective, and uh, the commentator uh, said that this was actually how it was written in the screenplay, was that the first Jedi is killed by the, the um, stormtroopers turning on him, and then it cuts to Yoda, who has a reaction shot. And then another stormtrooper is killed by a thing. Then it cuts to Yoda and he has another reaction shot. So you sense that he's going through all of this as, um, as it's unfolding. Whereas in the original, they all, you see them all get turned upon, turned upon, turned upon. And then it cuts to Yoda and he has one really big dramatic sort of uh, moment where he takes it all in. I like the idea of it kind of cutting where he's kind of sensing it as it's happening. Um, you feel the same? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then at the end of that sequence, when the stormtroopers come out to take Yoda out, uh, in the original, they come up behind him. He gives a little knowing look that he knows what's up. Whips out his lightsaber, chops off their heads in one swell, uh, one swell, one fell swoop. Uh, but in this one, you see him look over like he knows what's up, and then it cuts. So you know that he's going to take care of himself. And uh, it was interesting to hear why... I mean, it's a good edit to do, because you, you don't need to see it. You know that Yoda's not going to be taken out yeah, by these two drones. Yeah, uh, um, but if 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 for no other reason then he's the only one of them that senses, senses what's going exactly. He looks behind him, you know. Yeah, and uh, but the editor said that the reason one of the it sounded like he was more uh, compelled to make that cut only because he wanted to hold back Yoda with a lightsaber, and that's interesting because you know we just saw episode two and episode the the Phantom editors episode of two has a lot of lightsaber duel with uh, Yoda. And we, we talked a lot about that on that episode. Um, but in this one, apparently on Late, Water, Late Writers Episode 2, he cut all that out. So in his, if you watch Late, Water, Late Writers Saga 1, 2, and 3, Yoda doesn't whip out a lightsaber until he uh, embraces Palpatine in this film. And uh, I was thinking about that, and I was like, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing to do, or even if 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 I imagine like if if I'm watching these three movies and Yoda's in it and he's the 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 wisest and you know us you know the most respected Jedi in the council and everything, when he whips out his lightsaber, that needs to be a sexy moment. That needs to be the time that you know the shit has hit the fan to to warrant him coming out with a lightsaber, and that moment is sold better when he initially confronts Dooku than it is when he confronts... Because in that moment, it's like the camera freezes on Yoda and moves around where Yoda doesn't move but everything else does. Yes, that exactly. Like, the, the, the storytelling is saying, we know this is an Although, important moment. I would have cut the music that went along with it. Instead oh, yeah. Of, instead of, oh, Because that music is basically like fanboy music. Like, here's what you're ready, ready for. <laughs> instead, I would, just, I would just have it just freeze. Move around. I think that would be much more chilling. Because mm. you, 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 know, you don't see it coming mm-hmm. after three movies, and all of a sudden, mm. yeah, no music. I think no music would be better than for episode two. No, no, no. Well, for the for whenever you put that reveal. Got you. Um, I, 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 I don't know if he cut out the fact that I mean, there's the scene. Yoda walks in the room. He does a little force blast thing, and the two you know guards are knocked That's, out. That was cut out. That was in this one. Oh, the force blast between the Emperor and Yoda was cut out. That's what I meant. Yes, that was that was cut out. Um, the main reason, the main reason I didn't like that wasn't that, that Yoda got knocked down, but I don't like watching the Emperor get knocked down. He he's, he's clumsy. Yeah. In his movements, and it makes him feel like this he's, is not the same not guy that was flipping around, killing moments Jedi earlier. A ago. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I wonder if there's still opportunity to find or manufacture a this is Yoda whipping out his lightsaber moment. Because what happens is in this edit, Yoda whips out his lightsaber, uh, Palpatine opens up, hits lightsaber, and then it cuts. And then the next time you see them is the they're on the platform that's rising in the center of the Senate uh, floor, and then they are duking it out. So you never really see the, their, their initial clash, which would have been the thing that I think would have been a better sell. Like you know what would have been really cool mm. is if somehow in that little confrontation scene the lights went out in that room and all of a sudden all of a sudden you saw with this green blade. You didn't see Yoda. So you don't see Yoda. You saw the green blade, you saw the red blade, and then it cuts to Anakin and Obi Wan. That could be cool. And then you can see him fighting later, but that's a, that's just as that- a reveal. Just to see the lightsaber. Is yeah. it, is, that's the reveal. Yes. And, and maybe that would be, like like I said, the manufacturing of that, that moment. It would be interesting to play with that. Um, so, uh, you know, the what's going on is, um, plot-wise, is that it's been revealed, obviously, that he's a Sith Lord. Um, he has, Vader is playing his allegiance to him. Palpatine sends him off to the, the, the volcanic uh, planet to wipe out um, the puppets of the droid army, leader of the droid army, the, the people who are at the helm of the ship in the Trade Federation at the opening of Episode 1. You know, it's interesting that I didn't, I didn't really uh, thought about, but the irony that Grievous has captured Palpatine, and then, you know, 20 minutes later, he's kneeling down to a hologram of Palpatine telling him to go to the Mustafar system. It's like he has no clue... <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. no clue yeah. um, I really like the sequence uh, you know when uh, when Anakin comes in and kills the, the the people on what's the name of the planet with the volcano planet oh uh, Mustafar Mustafar uh, I don't know there's something about the choreography about how he kills them it seems to work so much better like it's got a little character to it like there's this moment I don't even know where like he he does like a, a, a jousting thrust like moment and he's like off balance and you know his hand is kind of it's, it's this weird little microsecond capture of a moment where there's an ugliness to him killing these people whereas everybody every other time he's killing things it's it's the Jedi and they're you know meth- coldly methodical in how they you know maneuver their uh, lightsabers around but there's something messy about how he does it in this room in this situation mm. um but there is a there is a little moment that a comment on that I thought I thought should be uh, edited out, but wasn't actually. You know, another comment that was in the movie that we both thought was probably should be should be removed is uh, earlier in um, Mace Windu when he says, "I sense a plot against the Jedi." There's nothing to l- read that up, so it's, it's curious that that that's still in here because that seems like it'd be a, a pretty easy one to to chop out. But anyway. Um, after he kills uh, those people, you have that really sexy shot of him in the dark robe, his eyes yellow, he looks towards the camera and then turns away, and this is like Vader, you know, Vader, Vader. And um, and then it cuts back to Yoda and Palpatine, but then it cuts back to him, and instead of him being done, he has to go, like, he has to kill one more. And there's a line of dialogue in this scene where where you see him looking. He's got the yellow. You see one guy in the background. There's still one guy left. He, he stands in that doorway, turns around, look behind him, and you see there's a guy. There's a guy in the background. 
Really? Yeah. I don't know. Like behind, like he's looking at the when camera. He's looking at the camera. Somebody, somebody way on the other end of the room behind him. Oh, interesting. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was him looking at the. You know, he's just surveying the damage he's done and taking it all in. Like, yeah, something like that. You know. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's the same character who had one of the very first lines in episode one. Yeah. Uh, Newt Gunray, who says, yes, of course, as you know, our blockade is perfectly, perfectly legal. legal. the same dude. Yeah, yeah. He's totally been duped by the Sith for three movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yeah, and I, 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 do, I do dislike that the film, none of the episodes, none of the prequels, really show how devastating the droid army can be. You never see them occupying a city. You never see them wiping out or uh, engaging in civilian populations. You never well, see them. Okay, you never see them wiping out civilian populations, even though it's implied that they do in Episode One. Mm-hmm. But you see them occupying uh, Theed in Episode One. The problem with it is, is that it doesn't really feel menacing because you hear this dun 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 ba da dum dum dun 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 dum ba da music yeah. through the whole thing. It doesn't really feel menacing. Well, moreover, as soon as the Jedi come into that, you know, to that city that's been occupied. You know, it's like one little battalion of, you know, 15, 20, and they wipe them out, and it doesn't seem there's much threat beyond that. That's because they immediately leave the planet. Well, yeah. So, in episode two and three, I really wish that they had really showed why it was so necessary and and fortunate that they had the clone army, because the droids needed to be much more... I wish. ...and menacing threat. And also, one last thing is that we never get a sense of what the motivation is of the Federation. Why do they want to occupy all the droid armies and use all these different things? What's their end game except to just be following their master, so to speak? Okay, let me try to backtrack this back to episode one. Um, in episode one, uh, it's in the opening crawl. Everybody cringes, but I really think it's important information. All, there, there's all this um, debate going on in the Senate about about trade regulations and tariffs and stuff like that. All of that stuff, if you read Cloak of Deception, the book that preceded Episode 1, was was masterminded by the Sith, by manipulating senators, blah, 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 to get all this questionable taxation of trade routes legislation in. in, 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 in. Meanwhile, the Sith say... Uh, the, the, that's all going, and the Sith say, okay... Um, I'm going to help you out, the Trade Federation. I'm going to help you out with all this um, because this isn't fair to you. So, um, and, and so he starts he starts luring them along and giving and giving them some support uh, against what's what's ostensibly you know hurting their their free trade, and, which actually Palpatine is mechanize, mechanizing in the first place. But um, one of the things that that they uh, that that the that, that Sidious does that gives them great pause, is hooks them up with a droid army. They're like, why do we need an army? And Sidious gives them a good explanation, and they're like, okay, and they go along with it. And then he says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna blockade a planet out of protest. It's a protest to try to get the Senate to pay attention and everything. It's like, okay, all right, this is the planet we're gonna blockade. No, Which, no. by the way. The ruler of that planet is is a young girl who was recently elected, who is inexperienced, mm-hmm. and I'm the senator from that planet. Pure coincidence. I mean, like they don't know it's him. Yeah, yeah. 
but you, this whole thing, he's been machinizing this whole thing all along. Mm-hmm. We're going to blockade this planet where there's this young and experienced ruler who I can wield influence over. Mm-hmm. And then, in the middle of it all, the, the, the Chancellor sends some Jedi to try to work things out. Sends some Jedi to work things out. And what does Sidious say? Kill them immediately. Uh, okay. But they're Jedi. Uh, right? And then he says, begin landing your troops. And they go, uh, is this that is, legal? This is taken too far. Yes. Is that legal? They, they have, these aren't even really their troops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have, they've been manipulated from the get-go. Because it, it, it's, it, it's like, uh, it's just like, the, it's just like once you turn that, the, the, if you stick your hand in a pot of water and turn on that stove... It's going to be a while before you feel the heat. And once mm-hmm. you feel the heat... It's too late. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe it's not. You can put your hand out. But it's like that. It's like they're already in. They've got this droid army. They dropped on the planet. Now the Senate is looking at them like, crap, now the Republic is against us. And now they're like, you're going to pay for all the... You know, you, you know. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye and everything. Mm-hmm. And they become disenfranchised. And in episode two, you see that there are all these other organizations that are disenfranchised. Mm. And they come together and they say, you know, we've had it. Let's pull off our, all our resources and break away from the Republic. What what you don't realize is is that the, the Sith have mechanized both sides. The Sith have made it difficult for them to be in the Republic, and the Sith have created an out for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the storytelling is really good, but it's subtle. And it's bogged down with, these are called Jar Binks, and you don't realize there's actually really cool stuff, going really on. stuff going on here. Yeah. Because Lucas... Well, for one thing, it's... It, it, it is good storytelling to give you a major plot point and have you ha- completely not realize it. That's especially, especially if it's the purpose of the person making the doing this, uh, executing this plot secretly. Like one of the one of the most telling lines in Episode One that is just totally a throwaway line is, "May I present Queen Amidala, recently elected ruler of the Naboo." That's the only time you hear that phrase. That phrase is crucial to the whole plot. Hmm. Or at least, it, yeah, I get you. <laughs> um, but visually, uh, we needed, I, I still think, you know, it's all there. Maybe you say it's all there, but we still needed to be sold the idea that the droid army is particularly dangerous and worthy of a large scale well, I'm gonna response. Say... And, the, and the, the conflict at the end of episode two, the third act of episode two, where you really see those kind of, uh, you really see the droid army uh, clashing against the, the clone army um, doesn't do enough. We need more, not miss it more of that, but we need more how, like, we, all it would take is you see a picture of the galaxy and you say, you have a picture of all, uh, all like, uh, habitable planets and then somebody clicks a button and just says, these are the ones uh, influenced or, you know, being controlled by the, the Federation and all of a sudden there's a shitload of red dots and that's all you need to indicate we have a large-scale problem that needs a large-scale solution. I think you need one more thing. I think the robots need to be more menacing. Yeah, they are. T- here's here's what toys. you need. Here's what you need. Now, if you did this particular thing, it would totally win the plot of the movie because of the fact that the queen had a decoy. The droids need to be more like Terminators. I don't mean with skin on them. Yeah. I mean the reg- the the robotic Terminators you need to walk into the palace, shoot down everybody but the queen. Instead of capturing her whole cabinet, mm. shoot down everybody but the queen and drag her off to sign the treaty. Then you can totally believe when you hear, oh, they wiped out millions of people. You totally believe it. They walked into a room and killed 20 people 
and dragged the one survivor away. Mm-hmm. Now they're terrifying. Instead of, check it out, Corporal. We'll cover you. Roger, Roger. Roger. <laughs> the problem with it is it changes Star Wars. It Star Wars has always been fun and lighthearted and, and even in the dark moments you're like, yeah. But when you have when you have when you put Terminators in it, it's not light anymore. It's dark. And so eh Well <laughs> I the the trade off uh, you you miss a really big like you said, or like I said, but like anybody has a lot of people have said a good guy is only as good as the bad guy is bad. And another thing about that would have been better, and I like, I really like the Terminator, but Terminators don't talk to each other. Of course not. They only talk when they're when it's absolutely necessary, or when talking to humans. So you would never see the battle droids talking to each other, which makes little sense. You would think maybe there's some sort of a Wi-Fi a connection. connection. Yeah. You know, when I bring my phone and my computer together, and I like. You know, sent like use Bluetooth. It doesn't go. I'm sending you a file now. Of course not. <laughs> so, um, but okay. So they they have their duel. Uh, then then you know Vader is. Uh, uh, there's a particularly sections of the scene with uh, Obi Wan and Vader uh, fighting in the in the fire. Has been reduced, so it's a little bit, a little bit better paced. Even the comment, even the fan editor has, has still pointed out things that he doesn't particularly care for, especially after the where they swing out from the rope and they get on, you know, the little platforms just before jumping onto the the shoreline. Um, but the shoreline thing was heavily edited uh, and I think much better. Uh, and the commentator makes an interesting point in episode one. Uh, How does it work? How, Darth Maul... Um, no, episode one, Ewan McGregor is in the... Has been... He, Darth Maul has, has the superior positioning. I find it interesting that you seem to refer to everybody by their character names, but you do you, 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 usually you, refer you, to him you, as you, Ewan McGregor. McGregor. Uh, just the one guy. You don't say, well, when Hayden Christensen does this... I know, but it's weird. Like Everybody else has a first name that I'm not associated with, but when I think of Obi-Wan, I think of... Uh, oh, uh, Alec Guinness. Uh, so, uh, anyway, the, in, in episode one, he's he's on this ledge. Darth Maul is, you know, intimidating with the lightsaber. Then he flips over Darth Maul and then slices him in half. And in this episode, in episode three, uh, Vader jumps over Ewan McGregor. But Ewan McGregor's done that before. Like he, 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 he Obi Wan has done that move before, so he knows it's coming. And that's when he's able to swing around and chop off and get him. But in this one, instead of there's a scene, there's a moment, a beat that's missed, not missed, but thankfully removed. Ewan McGregor, <laughs> Obi Wan jumps to the shoreline. He looks at him and says, "We're done. I won. I have the higher ground. Don't do it." And then he jumps over and cuts off his. You legs. know, I, I spent a good deal of time trying to figure out why, quote unquote. Having the high ground meant you were automatically going to win. Like I remember, like going out to a hill and like really thinking about this. Like, how does this make me have some sort of un- unescapable advantage? I don't understand this. You have an advantage, but if you're talking about Jedi who can kind of sense a little bit in the future and why they—that's uh, what's able to give them such, you know, crazy choreographed fighting. Uh, it makes little sense for that to make to have an impact. Um, but anyway, he. In this edit, uh, Obi-Wan jumps to the shoreline, followed immediately by um, uh, Vader jumping to the shoreline, and he immediately cuts him in half. There's no time to think or talk or whatever. It's reactionary. It's done. 
and uh, that that is also handled uh, much better in this edit. Um, not m much changes following that. Uh, he go, you know, he leaves Vader there. He goes into the ship. Um, uh, Padme is pre uh, pregnant, having uh, the kids. It, I want to talk about uh, something. Okay, I always hoped that in Episode Three there would be a scene where. And this almost happened. It, like, 80% of this actually happened. Where you see Bail Organa, Yoda, and Obi-Wan discussing what to do with the kids. And they say, okay, so here's the plan. Um, Yoda says, Obi-Wan, take one kid, and Baylor take the other. I'm going to go hide out on a deserted planet by myself. And we're going to wait. And when you feel the time is right, Bail Organa, send the girl to get Obi-Wan and Luke. And bring, and then we're going to, they're all going to be sent to me on Dagobah. And when you watch episode four, if Leia hadn't been captured... That could easily have happened. She says, I've been sent to, on a mission to bring you to Alderaan. What for? There's no explanation for her to have a mission to bring him to Alderaan. You mean Obi-Wan? Yeah, in episode four. There's no explanation for that. There's, they never say, well, here's why I was, she was coming to get me to Obi-Wan, to Alderaan. Does he act like he's waiting for, for Leia? Does he act surprised when he sees the... Yes. Yeah. Um, well, well, no, well, my, my point is is that there's, there's got to be an, a reason why she has... Why she has a mission to bring to Alderaan? Well, mission to bring to Alderaan is because it's finally time to unlock this thing. The Death Star is operational. The kids are grown up. We need to take them to Yoda. The I, I go. I see where you're going with that. The challenge, though, is that the reason and Leia, why Leia is completely unaware of it at this point. I know, but like one of the big reasons why. Uh, it seems to be one of the big reasons why Anakin becomes Vader is because he's trained in the arts too old. And so waiting for a significant amount of time before bringing the two of them to Dagobah seems like a recipe for disaster. Mm, mm, mm. You haven't read the book, have you? <laughs> if that hasn't been established yet. Uh, I, wish, I wish I had known that you were going to bring that up because I would have probably already found it in here. But Yoda says, here's why the Jedi are no more. Because the galaxy changed around us and we did not evolve with it adapt to it not change but adapt to it okay you know we have our strict he, laws he gives and a old big traditions speech about that. he gives a big speech about that and then the next time you see him he's willing to train a kid who's 20 years old because the old way was because if I stick to my new if I stick to the old ways the galaxy's over yeah. I have to I have to make this concession I see and um that would have been a nice line from Yoda to say. Oh, yeah. In this one, that whole scene, we should have adapted. All of that should have been in there. Because another thing that that is is explicitly laid out in the book, and and is not, it's almost again eighty percent of it's in there. But this whole scene was cut from the from the fan edit, which mm -hmm. I kind of wish it wasn't. Was the idea that because because Qui Gon followed the path of the Living Force as opposed to the whatever I forget the name of the Force that everybody else followed, mm -hmm. which is why he wasn't on the Council. Um, that's that's how he was able to 
survive as a force ghost, at least in 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 voice form. And that's that's when Yoda delivers that speech that says, "We need we were so stuck in our routines that that's why we're gone." You know, we we should have been more we should have we should have been encouraged more debate. We should have explored other options. Mm. Qui Gon did, mm. and now he's back. And now we need to, we need to train ourselves to do this too. Mm. I mean, that, such a, that, that that that's so wonderful. I don't know. Wish it had been in the movie. Yes. I mean, I think it was in the in in a treatment or screenplay or whatever because the book. I mean, there's nothing that's changed. It's just added. Yeah. The book doesn't. There's nothing in there that's oh well, it's different. To suggest that it's contradictory. There's nothing in the movie that doesn't yeah. take place in the book, yeah. but there's a lot that takes place in the book that's in the, the movie. movie. Yeah, sure. But anyway, yeah. So what do you think about that? Um, I I think it's excellent. I would it would have been nice to have Yoda doing a little bit of 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 having a little bit more of agency and taking responsibility for what has unfolded because yeah, it unfolded under his guidance. You uh, know, yeah. he was the one who was Yoda oblivion. needed to have. Yoda needed, Yoda needed to have his equivalent of this speech. You were the chosen one. It was said you would destroy this and not join them. Save the, save the galaxy instead of leading in the darkness. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Uh-huh. He needed to have that speech that says everything I, 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 I believe in is gone. And I don't understand what's going on. He needed to have that speech. Yeah. Um, but you, in, in, in what you just said, you did remind me of something that we should, that we should bring up is some of the deleted scenes that um, that were inserted in this edit. Uh, the the biggest one, or I thought the most interesting one, was the establishment of the characters who ultimately would go on to be the leaders of the resistance. Yeah, the rebel well, army. Well, two of them you already met. The, the 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 one you hadn't met was the one you really needed to meet, which is Mon Mothma, because she's the one in Return of the Jedi. Yes, exactly. Uh, one of them dies at the end of the movie. Padme. So these are yeah. So these so that was another nice little drop that you know he put in this film, uh, in this particular edit that uh, helps bridge uh, episode three to episode four, five, and six and whatnot. I want to make a comment. Um, in the original version, it's great that they cut out the line "She lost the world to live," but in the original version, when it's when you find out she's carrying twins, you see the birth of the babies. And her dying words are... And she says, she names them both. Oh, that's right. Luke and Leia. That's right. She, names she does not name the children in the fan edit. That's right. And it's really interesting because without that, without that, you, don't you know... Kn- oh, let no. Say, let me okay. just say yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know that Luke is, is Vader's son the second you meet him because where is he? He's in the same spot where that kid was left. Right. Now, if you, if you, if you are... Paying really close attention and really scrutinizing things. I see. Leia's on the same ship that her dad owned. Yeah. Maybe that's the girl. I see where you're going with this. But you could have totally missed it. And you wouldn't know until Return of the Jedi. That's pretty interesting. That Leia was his sister. I didn't even think about that. Because, okay, here are the clues that. Okay, if you don't hear her name in episode three, three, and you've never seen the others, here are the clues Leia's ship is the same ship, they're kind of the same age. They're kind of the same age. She is a senator, which mm-hmm. her father was a senator. Uh huh. And in episode five, she she senses Luke through the Force. Yeah. But it's never explicitly stated. You walk in episode four, no e- way. Even with having never seen anything, uh-huh. you know it because their names were given at the end of the movie. I think it's cooler when you don't get their names. I think that is better too. But you did mention that. although there is a great. It is it is like one of those. It's it's like watching Vader put get put in the suit. You want to see those kids get born, and you really do want to hear the names Luke, Luke and, Leia and Leia in this movie. 
Yeah. But it's kind of cool if you don't. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I would actually, you know, based off what you just said, I would definitely lean on that side of the edit. Remove that to save the Leia reveal to somebody who's never seen uh, one through six. Yeah. Uh, which they're out there, believe it or not. Yeah, because, uh, because 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 Yoda says in episode five, there's another, and then you'd be like, oh yeah, there was another. Where, what happened to the other one? Yeah, you'd be thinking that all through episode four. Yeah, yeah. by episode five, you'd be, you'd have forgotten about yeah. it. You know, um, the uh, well, okay. Anyway, just to go back to to the to the death of of Padme. No, I want to I want to lean around this name thing for one more second. Okay. I love the name Luke Skywalker, but why would you give that kid the name Skywalker? Skywalker. Yeah. Unless Skywalker is as common as Smith. Yeah, unless Skywalker is a common name. Yeah. Okay, that's enough said. Okay. Um, so, uh, in the movie, in the original, uh, Padme's dying line... Which I, I I'll say it's kind of hard to hear. So the delivery is a little easier. She says, "Obi Wan, there's good in him." Obi Wan, there's good there in him. I know still, there is still. That she dies. Yeah, and of course that kind of pays off, you know, in Episode Six when he does, you know, come find his goodness or whatever. Um, but in this one, there's a really interesting edit. The way he edits it is that Vader, you know, the mask comes on Vader. He takes his very first breath, the you know, the famous noise, and then it cuts to her taking her last breath. I like I, it better with the line. You like it better with the line? I like the poeticness of the transfer from one to the other. And I, I think it would be cooler if Vader's first breath matched with Luke's first breath. Hmm. Because thematically, that's, that's where that's we are ties now. That's where we are now. Yeah, yeah this, we got to establish Ultimately, the story isn't about... Anakin and Padme it's about Anakin and Luke yeah that's what the whole story arc is about and yes Luke doesn't show up until the end of, of episode 3 but Luke is a bigger character than his mother and his and, and even though his relationship with Padme is is bigger that's not what the story's about hmm. the story's about his, his fall and redemption by his son hmm. that's what the if you said what Star Wars about it's about this guy who, who falls from grace and his son restores him to grace I mean I just I just sum up all six movies yeah <laughs> I was a little surprised that on the commentary track uh, we didn't hear anything about because uh, we went into it in the first part about the metachlorians about the possible the, the, what? the, <laughs> the possible theory that uh, the Sith was responsible for uh, the, the the virgin birth. Isn't um, midichlorian French for I'm giving up the middle finger to my audience? Well, it makes me wonder. We watched the episode one, his, his uh, yeah. late writers episode one. Did they have anything about the virgin birth in that? Uh-huh. It yeah. was in that yeah. one, huh? So that's interesting that he wouldn't he wouldn't comment or he didn't he didn't feel the need to comment on that in that particular moment. I was curious. Maybe there's some commentary on it on that version's commentary mm. track, which uh, I don't know if I even have. I don't know if I do either. Anyway, anyway, um, and you know, it goes through the montage of the characters. You know, you know, positioning themselves for where they'll be uh, come the beginning of episode four. And uh, that's the end of the edit. It's very... Uh, episode 3 was already a fairly strong uh, Star Wars movie. Um, the reordering of scenes uh, really helped better sell the idea of Anakin's turning to the dark side, which is really what, you know, 1, 2, and 3 needs to be about. Um, 
the nips and tucks along the way to help with uh, cleaning up, you know, unnecessary dialogue helps to helps a long way. I, I really like the extra work on the sound effects to clean up the, the lizard monster. Uh, shortening and tightening up the action sequences so that they uh, they don't feel too uh, too much of just, you know, we can do this so we're going to show you we can do this kind of stuff. Uh, all, all in all, make, you know, turning, I would say episode 7, no, episode 3, is, you know, is probably a 7, you know, as a movie. But this pushes it up to an eight, maybe close to a nine, uh, in reference to all the other Star Wars films. It's a really strong edit. I like it a lot. And um, let me ask you, let me ask you a hypothetical question. Okay, at the end of Episode Six, Luke sees four, three Force ghosts, all of whom are connected to him. Never mind. I don't have a question. I was going <laughs> to say, wouldn't it be cool to see all of them? But we just went over the fact that. This is something that they learned post-mortem of the Jedi, that we can preserve ourselves through the Force. Uh-huh. But how did Anakin do it? My response would be, well, Anakin's the chosen one. He was conceived by the Force. And he's the most powerful. And you really don't need to... I mean, that's right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know? Yeah. The, did uh, When they released Episode six in the Super Duper Special Edition version 65, did they uh, put Qui-Gon in that scene at the very, very end of Episode six? No, see, I think... You know, I would love to see other Jedi there because this is the end of book, episode six. It's not the end of episode four, five, and six. Uh-huh. It's episode one through six. We had a lot of the Jedi, but these three Jedi are the ones that would follow Luke. They're the ones that Luke would see. Luke wouldn't see Qui Gon. I guess not. I guess not. Well, anyway, uh, check it out. Uh, this, there's a lot of strong edits of, uh, of Star Wars out there, of course. And read the book. <laughs> and read the book. Uh, um, late writers. Now, that, the way, if you want to Google it, it's L, like uh, the letter L, A, W, R, T, R. Late writers um, uh, trilogy, the, you know, his trilogy of Star Wars. Uh, you can do some poking around and find it. It's uh, they're in they're in HD. They're in high quality. They these are so these 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 versions are so strong that they can really they really can replace the discs in uh, in your um, in your cases uh, for rep- for the original trilogy. Really good stuff. Really strong edits. Um, the culmination of a lot of editors throwing in a lot of ideas and doing their own versions. Um, this is sort of the standing on the shoulders of others. Uh, but giving props to those, if you listen to the commentary track, he does give props to the other editors who've come up with some uh, radical ideas that he has incorporated into this into this edit that works. Um, and I'm sure there's still, you know, as good as they are, and I would say, you know, uh, the, you know, strong enough to replace the discs. It does make you wonder, even though we still we're still looking at maybe there's still some polishing we can come up with. Uh, if there's ever, if there's ever going to be a super definitive edition version of uh, one, two, and three, whatever he comes up with, I doubt it's going to be much different or much more impactful, much better than what we're watching here. So uh, check it out. Thank you, uh, Late Rider, for making the edits. Thank you, Fanatic Community, for contributing to such things. And thank you, Natalie Portman, for being in the movie. And thank you, Natalie Portman. All right, uh, signing off. Thank you for listening and. Uh, I guess the next time you hear our Star Wars uh, uh, hoopla, it'll be on episode four, which uh, I'm sure will be an interesting foray. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye.
Falling for one another. 